I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, right? Can you feel it? Am I the only one out here feeling it? It is Friday. September 30th, 2022. You know what you just stumbled right in? A pile of the best damn combat sports show. Period. And we got receipts and awards to prove it. Uh, This is Morning Combat. Thank you for joining us. Nobody does it better than this duo right here. The beige one. The alpha. The BBC with that BDE. Yes, it's Brian Campbell. Hi. Great great to see you. Sorry, technical difficulties. But, uh, you know, you're going to listen to me today. But the one, the man you'll actually hear, right? The man who can hear Jimmy, it's Luke Thomas. Luke, let, it, Fridays are the best, right? It, uh, it's it's for art lovers only. It's fantastic. Yes, I love your intro where you sound like a mix of, uh, I don't know, like a B-movie version of the Riddler and a French, a Fr- Pippi Le Pew, I'll say. How about that? A French sex pest. Yeah, David Appleton. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha on that one. All right. Good stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, we got a great show for you today. Setting the stage for a pretty loaded weekend in the sport of mixed martial arts and and beyond, meaning we got some bare knuckle garbage to get through as well. Ben Rothwell, wow, wow. Uh, UFC Bellator 1 is coming big tonight, so uh, you're here at the right place for that, and we've got an extensive dead wrong list. What a bad week, apparently, for uh, Luke and BC, not making it look so easy after all. But please, if you like what you hear in this here part, me clean out my ear here um give us a like give us a subscription here subscribe on youtube help us continue to build this brand and take it to the next level and uh look we've been david before right in the biblical journey against goliath taking down the monsters that are ariel hawani joe rogan dana white etc we're back up against it so we need you the goliath if you care to uh vote for us morning combat Best MMA Programming nominee, second straight year, worldmmaawards.com slash nominees. Hit up that QR code if you're so inclined. Uh, look, we want to uh, keep BC, being the best BC, in the world. BC, today is the last day to vote. This is it. you got to get the votes in today, which when I'm, if, if you're hearing this on podcast on Saturday, it's too late. So it's Friday the 30th. Today is the day. Please go vote if you haven't. Thank you very much if you have. Thank you very much. Uh, and, you know, some other shows that are nominated like to make fun of people who look for votes. I just want to let you guys know that historically, 
all I do is win no matter what. So, uh, you know, if the people can lift us here to the next level once again, it's up to you, viewers. We love you. Thank you very much. Speaking of people that love us and get our back, how about Showtime? How about you thinking about getting the free 30-day subscription to Showtime. Why? Saturday night, we're talking about a tent-pole Bellator card. Patricio Pipple, AJ McKee, Aaron Pico, so much more. You can go to Showtime.com and start your business and check out Saturday night's show, 10 p.m. Eastern, only on Showtime. BC back on Showbox October 21st. So many great docs. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, Luke, I'll be rocking the AG1 today. I don't know if they paid for an ad today, but, you know, I'm a living ad. I'm living proof, all right? Mm. Very good. I'm having my second cup of coffee because uh, my daughter wouldn't let me sleep. So, Well, I'm sorry about that, but the Tukes will do what the Tukes does. And if you need more coffee, why don't you put it in this fantastic, not that bullshit thing Luke's looking out of that looks like a spherical penis. How about this, <laughs> this bodily shape right here, the Morning Combat mug. You can go to morningcombat.store. You want to get it's outfitted? Literally, like it's literally just a cylinder. Like, it's literally a cylinder. That's all that it is. Uh, at morningcombat.store, you can click on the icon for Campbell's Closet. You can you can wear exactly what I'm wearing right now if you're so inclined. But hey, you want to peruse there? Let's make it even easier. 10% off all items on the site if you use our live code, LIVE10, that will go through the end of today, Friday. So if you've been wanting to jump in, why don't you take 10% off the top right there? Dress like the cool guys in the lunchroom dress, Okay. That's life, Luke. It's still high school. Believe that. All right. Um, they they criticize our long intros, Luke. So, you know, I, I think we right should bang. to do that. Our intros are, in fact, too long. That's one of the fair criticisms. If they put that in dead wrong, I'd have to be like, we have to accept that LBC. Okay. I like to sell ads and laugh and ask you about your weekend plans. But, Luke, apparently your weekend plans involve fighting. So why don't we get right into it right now, right? And Artsy Friday begins with topic number one. Oh, we got to tune in for this one. Saturday evening, the Apex UFC Fight Night Vegas 61 is the official title of the card. But you come for that must-see women's strawweight main event, future title positioning at stake when Mackenzie Dern takes on Yao Xiaonan, both pretty recently directly off of defeats to Marina Rodriguez, who's probably looking at the next title shot after current champion Carla Esparza takes on former champion Zhang Wei Li. But Luke, we, we identified on Wednesday the stakes coming into this one. Heck, we even talked to Mackenzie Dern. You can check that interview out in full if you haven't seen it on our Morning Combat clip page on YouTube. But now we get into the X's and O's. Luke, it's they both have that major common opponent in Rodriguez. Uh, Jan losing a very close three-round split decision that could have gone either way. Dern went five rounds for the only time in her career, losing a more wide one, although she did have a few, you know, pretty scary moments and nearly submitting Rodriguez on the ground, getting to full mount. Uh, can't, what can we learn from those two recent matchups against one of the best in this division as how it might apply against each other come Saturday night? Yeah, it's a great question. So let's talk about Dern first. It's probably where most people's interest would lie, given her star power, or at least relative star power in this equation. The fact that you go back to the Rodriguez fight and you notice that Dern isn't able to get it there very routinely, but when she does get it there, she's obviously a menace. And she put Rodriguez in all kinds of trouble. Now, to Rodriguez's credit, she was able to survive and defend. And in fact, if you look at situations like Yan Xiaonan taking on Angela Hill, Angela Hill put her in a triangle and she was able to survive that as well. There is some precedent in that kind of way. However, what I would argue is Rodriguez's, 
I think resistance, her submission defense on the ground is much better, at least from what we've seen, than Yan Xiaonan. So if it's funny, Dern, I think her she only is averaging 0.46 takedowns per 15 minutes, and yet BC, um, her submission average in terms of the attempts is at two per 15, which shows you even without getting the takedown, she's able to find ways to do it. If she could really raise that level, as we talked about with her and then previously. She could do a lot. So on the Dern side, I would say this is, if she gets the takedown, it's probably over, to be quite honest with you. At least she can get it in some kind of reliable way. And even without it, I think she could jump to positions, and I don't really trust Yan Xiaonan's defense on the ground. Conversely, if there is some good defense, dude, the output, the output from Yan Xiaonan is extraordinary, and her accuracy is not that great, but because of the output is so high, you see a lot of it. 5.66 strikes landed per minute, man. That's a lot. She's busy doing work. I think she attempts almost 14 a minute, right? So she's really out there putting just the rain on top of you in that way, but she is highly inaccurate. So the question to me is, is Dern really going to be able to close the distance, either jump to guard, jump to the back, whatever, and threaten in that way? Because if it's just 25 minutes of exchanging on the feet, I don't know how much of a knockout threat Jan Shaunan is, but that volume is going to make a difference, BC. Absolutely. Uh, Luke, I, I watched both of those fights this morning. I really tried to get in on what we can learn and what this fight will look like. I want to start with, though, that Yao Shanan marina Rodriguez bout that did go three-round split decision. Do you think Jan had more of an argument that we remember in hindsight to have won that? Yeah, upon reflection, it seemed a little bit closer um, than I had remembered in real time, I think, or... or, or just looking back on the record, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, this is, you know, it, the, the judges sort of were generous. Maybe they weren't so much. Maybe they weren't so much in that particular case. Did you actually, it sounds like you changed the argument based upon rewatch for who won. Yeah, I really felt upon rewatch that it could have gone either way. Uh, Jan bloodied Marina Rodriguez's eye in the closing minutes, although yep. during that same sequence that she got bloodied, Rodriguez arguably had some of her best combinations on the feet. But I think, you know... Really, I feel like nobody won that. They both performed well. It just kind of felt like a draw, although obviously with three rounds, it's easier to score two to one either way. But it felt very even. No one got ahead. But what we did learn in that matchup is what uh, Dern is going to have to look out for, the fact that Jan has great hand speed. She's technically uh, solid. She's sturdy on her feet. Uh, very quick spinning back fist, Luke, that she almost landed a bunch of times on Marina but came up short. Given that Dern does not have the same striking base defense instincts. I wonder if that could become a weapon for, for Jan throughout these five rounds. But we learned kind of what we already knew in rewatching both of these fights. Jan, if the fight stays on the feet, man, Luke, does she have that combination of speed and instincts to really be able to, she went even striking-wise with Marina, or you could argue she had gone over the top. And on the flip side, Dern, while she has really worked hard to bring her striking around to a higher level, this is her sixth fight with Jason Perillo, who she joined... Uh, forces with in 2020 it has made a major change but luke i think even watching her loss over five rounds to rodriguez and that three round split decision win over tisha torres it's still not what it should be or what it could be meaning during striking so my early takeaways here i mean it's no secret to both could have an extreme advantage if the fight plays into their hands. In fact, Jan, during Fight Week uh, Media Day, said the only way McKenzie can win is if this fight hits the ground. It makes a lot of sense. But Luke, in regards to the striking of Dern, which has to be there, but there's a difference. Mostly she's used her striking as a setup to get the clinch, to get the takedown. 
she's yet to figure out how to really use it as a weapon, and, and certainly not against the, the more elite foes that she's recently faced. I like the power in her right hand, but it's too looping, it's too inconsistent. The jab has never been used consistently as something that can, can score points and, and kind of create the distance. Do you think, given the, the, the advantages that she does have, the fact that when we say the fight goes to the ground, there may not be another fighter in the entire UFC who could have more potential advantage to try to lure you into their web, do you think she's somebody that needs to round out that striking game, or striking can always be a second-rate means to an end to set up her strength? I'll say this. She has to make a choice, or there has to be some kind of uh, decided investment. She doesn't... She can't both be a work in progress on wrestling and striking. One of them has to become a significant, potent weapon. And it could become a potent in different ways. Maybe Dern will never have, for example, knockout power. But if she can really put a jab in your face, use it to close distance, use it to set up combinations, use it to set up kicks, all kinds of stuff, obviously, what you can do behind the jab then that would really, really change a lot of her game. It would elevate it in a dramatic way. Conversely, for striking really never improves, but all of a sudden she can just find dynamic ways to get you to the mat, keep you in wrestling transitions, force your hands to the mat, force you to scramble where she can collect wrists and find dominant positions. Yes, dude, she will elevate her game, but it can't both be the case that her striking is certainly better. I think we can all agree with that. And I, by the way, it also should be noted her composure under fire has always been surprisingly good, right? She doesn't get rattled after getting hit. That's an important thing to know. And note. don't forget, Marina almost had her choked out in round two in a shocker, right, on the ground. And she, to your point, was able to to stay calm and, and get out of that. That's right. So there's, there's certain composure competitively. There's good resiliency. But just from a technical application, she... One of those, one of those really needs to join, not the level of her grappling, but that ace in the hole, that that it's not a complete game. A complete game here I don't think is really in the cards, but a kind of um, meaningful, usable, professional, frankly, even potentially championship-ready kind of offense. One of those has to come up, right. certainly, is what I would say. And, and that's sort of why I teed that up, because I do feel like she's at a crossroads, where she's been able to, you know, against lesser opponents, she can use the striking better to do damage and then make the takedown easier, or take the or she'll pull guard if she has to. We know that. But not only do you want to see her offensive wrestling instincts improve, she's at this striking crossroads where it is, like, now or nothing, now or never. You know, either this is the time to make those huge leaps, or... Maybe you should just focus on that great one dimension that you have because her striking look just did not do her any favors in the Rodriguez fight. She wasn't even able to strike on the same even terms that Shaunan was. And while at times it allowed her to get inside the threat of that right hand, Marina was so tough in the clinch that for the most part, the success rate of taking of Dern taking her down was just not there. When she did get it there, boy, we saw three times she nearly had Rodriguez uh, either submitted or had her deep in full mount where she was very vulnerable, although two times that was late in the round, so Rodriguez was able to get out of it. Man, I think she could be an entirely different fighter, meaning Dern, if she had a strong, consistent, heavy jab that could really dissuade her opponents. But Luke, it's just not there yet. I'll give her and Perillo credit for what she did in the growth from the loss into the Tisha Torres fight, where I saw two things in that Torres fight that I really haven't seen consistently in Dirk's stri striking game. The leg kick to the body, which I think could be a huge weapon given how strong her legs the are. The leg kick for to sure. the body? I'm sorry. A, a, but using the leg to kick the body, Luke, okay? Round kick, yeah. Round, you got my point there. Thank you for that correction. And number two, Luke, 
The little short counter right hand, which is something that just hadn't been there at all. Uh, Styles are going to make fights in this case, and Torres is a is a darter who was coming in and out and kind of became getting you know she started to get timed on that. I don't know if this is the fight where Dern is going to have to take her striking to the next level because if you're looking at a key weakness in Yan Xiaonan, I mean, even Claudio Gadella took her down somewhat consistently in a loss. You know, obviously Esparza took her down and ground and pounded her out of there. And when you look at the difference in the fight with, um, you know, Rodriguez, which was so close, she also had some success taking her down. So it may, it may go that way for Dern. But, Luke, I've got to see more additions, more crafts. She's got to have more outs on the feet rather than just let me set this up to do what I do best. Um, that's why I kind of asked you if it was a hill too large to climb. She's going to need it against the elite. It's just the bottom line. There's no denying it. And in this fight, just think about what it could do for her. For example, BC, if her striking was up to par and whatever that would mean, right? Everything she's been working on. Yan Xiaonan sometimes will, obviously, she puts on a lot of pressure at times and has, obviously, not in the third round against Rodriguez, excuse me, Rodriguez. She didn't have a ton of volume, but it's been one of her calling cards, certainly in successful fights. But just imagine a scenario where Dern is able to push her backwards and walk her down with her striking. Like, think about Nate Diaz, for example. Nate Diaz does not have tremendous wrestling. Somewhat underrated in the clinch, but in general, not certainly his calling card. But I mentioned this before. Jim Miller, uh, in a different way, Kurt Pellegrino, uh, Tony Ferguson, Conor McGregor. Here are guys, and certainly in the case of the last three, right, outside of Pellegrino, getting beat up on the feet and don't want it anymore, and then they shoot on him, and then he locks it up. Can you imagine if Dern could force a shot? In the Rodriguez fight, what you got from Xiaonan was two different takedowns. One didn't last very long. One kind of did. Third round, everything went away, but she's able to change up the kind of offense, take her off of her rhythm, you know, just sort of disrupt things and make her work from positions that she doesn't want to do. Imagine if Dern could do this, could like literally put hands on people to the point where they wanted to shoot. This would change the dynamic completely. It would change the dy dynamic of her offense completely. Right now, it's still a lot of defensive issues where she gets hit too much. By the way, BC, we haven't talked about it. She has a negative striking differential. Uh, yeah. Mackenzie Dern does landing 3.16 and absorbing 4.35 and I'm told at distance that, that uh, so if you discount uh, strikes in the clinch that number grows even more dude this has to change it has to change either by virtue of the wrestling joining it so you're not taking that kind of damage you can find your way in one way or the other um, or by the striking coming along but it would be it would truly truly add a significant uh, and like you uh, wonder it, what danger what the game. impasse is Luke because on one sense, she's somebody who grew up in jujitsu and is, you know, among the most decorated in the world in that category. So, hey, it's going to take time to add things. But you only have to go back two fights ago to the Rodriguez fight where John Anik on the call was mentioning that they were finally, meaning Jason Perillo, getting Dern comfortable with doing extensive sparring. And, and like, you know, so it was clearly something that she not only wasn't easily foundationally accepted to, but she didn't like it. She didn't want to be there. If she had a jab, she's a world champion. I mean, that's that's the bottom line in my eyes. But, Luke, I think there's a hole in Jan's takedown uh, defense where certainly if we're going to see an offensive wrestling Dern, it's going to increase her championship. Obviously, she's got to have the some level of striking to set up those takedowns. But the avenue of victory and leaning on her strength, I still think is there. I don't think either one really has an advantage with this going from three to five rounds. Only Dern's been there. She, bet she was there once in that somewhat wide loss to, to Marina, despite having some of those big moments. But I think it's going to come down to the, the basic formula and in, in, in the way they contrast. Because if she stands on her feet with that striking too long, Shaunan is just too technically sound and very quick. She may have the fastest hands uh, in this division. It's going to be a problem for her. So... How often 
do we need Dern to shoot, or is it, or or is it the takedown's going to be coming more off the clinch when she tries to back her up with the threat of the right hand? Yeah, dude, her shot. I, well, well, we'll have to see. And by the way, I will say this for Mackenzie Dern's is striking for all of its its shortcomings. I would say she mentioned it in our interview, and it, I think the tape does show this largely. Her balance has gotten better. She's not as wobbly standing as they used to be. People who've never trained may not really appreciate this. It's very easy to knock over someone who's a white belt or someone in the boxing. It's very easy to get them to fall forward or out of position because they don't know how to balance themselves. And that's actually very difficult to learn how to do in combative situations. It takes time. And I would finally say I saw some real improvement there. I forgot the original part of your question because I got sidetracked with it, BC. I apologize. Well, you know, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little long-winded and stuff, Luke. You know what I mean? But that's just my passion and excitement. Um, I was basically saying, Luke, that if the fight has a chance to go to the ground, Dern's going to win this. But she's going to have to also shoot. It oh, can't right. just be right. back up, force her into the clinch, and try to take her down. Jan's pretty good in the clinch, not on the level of Rodriguez, but I'd love to see her shoot. And you know what? A potential opening in there. If I, if there's anything I don't love about the technique of Jan Shaunan is that when she throws combinations, she squares up completely before doing so and needs to be stationary to do that. Doesn't throw multiple punches well on the move. Is a good jabber, but you know, I wonder if there's going to be opportunities for, for a clean double leg here. To If she can add that to her game, meaning Dern, to get to that point on the ground, look, we're looking at a destroyer in this division. Yeah, that could be as, uh, the case as well. One thing that Dern should really be working on is because she has such difficulty with takedowns. One way to cheat the system if you're a grappler is to be able to catch kicks. Uh, now, Yan Shanan could change the way she strikes a little bit if she wanted to and just be much more heavy. And obviously, she has great hands, and that's a big, I would argue, maybe in the dominant portion of her standing offense. But still, like, um, if there was an opportunity there to catch those, you can really cheat the system, either find their way into the clinch, force a single, force a scramble, force your way to create back exposure, anything like that. That would be big for her. But historically, to your point, dude, when she tries to level change, it doesn't look great. She even told us in the interview your low back, uh, her low back would be so sore, but you could see it in her posture. Um, I, I recently purchased on, I, I don't get paid by them. I'm just doing this because I really believe that their service is tremendous. I was watching the recent John Danaher instructional on standing technique on um, on on takedowns. And what he had noted was in jiu-jitsu, for example, everyone argues quite correctly, it's position before submission, right? You can't really go for the arm bar until you are in a good position to do so. Um, and a stable one and, and, and one you can keep or at least transition through. It's the same way with posture before takedown in wrestling. It is much more important for you to be able to keep your posture where your chest is not too far forward, it's strong back, forehead or temple is attached to the torso, um, and you have obviously a straight back. If you can keep that, that's what enables you to chain forward uh, to different ones. Watch how often, at least and certainly what the tape has shown, we'll see on Saturday, watch how much Dern's posture gets broken where she's kind of leaning over all the way. It's just a sign that there's just a lot of wrestling fundamentals that aren't there. Really want to see if she can improve that, or to your point, maybe she can just punch her way into the clinch. Either way, something to, to watch out for. Yeah, I'd like to see the the, the continued ad adaptations to what they're doing in that striking game, and this will be a great fight to do that because that's where Jan is looking to fight you. Uh, here's what's interesting as I as I look at this. In, in terms of advantages and experience and, and top-level competition face, it is pretty close. I'll give Dern a slight edge. But Luke, looking up and down the resume of Yan Shanan, considering she has lost both times she stepped up in class, got stopped by Esparza, but Carlos now the champion again, and that aforementioned split decision with Rodriguez. I don't know, Luke. It's revisionist history a bit, but how much do we actually know about Yan Shanan at this point? Like, the wins had been over definitively second-tier fighters in this division or fighters on the way out, meaning Kovalkiewicz and, and um, Klaus Gadela. 
Do you feel like we've actually seen enough to really consider her a true title contender? Um, well, this fight will tell us a lot because no one that she's, she's fought a lot of, I mean, you know, you're kind of crapping on some of these uh, moments, but like she beat well, in a row. There's levels. There's levels, Luke. Fair, I don't know if she's fair. been close to this level with a victory yet, although she fought well with Rodriguez. Yeah, she fought well with Rodriguez. Uh, Asparza was kind of, you know, that was a nice clean win by Asparza. She's a good fighter, obviously. And then Gedalia, Kovalkiewicz, and Hill was all back to back to back. I mean, those are nice. Those are nice wins. Those are the fights they put in front of her, and she did quite well. I would say, though, on the feet, I, we don't look at this as like an elite challenge in that way. Even in a wrestling, we're not really sure. We really only see this as an elite challenge on the ground. And to your point, even with Gedalia, who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, she's not the kind of ground threat that Mackenzie Dern is. Really, nobody, as we talked about, kind of is. So, in in the the really important part is after Saturday. I will say we'll have a pretty clear sense. She'll have faced people very good in wrestling, very good in striking, very good in overall management, people with good cardio, people who are stronger. In this case now, elite submission skills. At this point, following Saturday, you're going to get a pretty decent read on where Yan Xiaonan is. The funny part about it for me, BC, is I go into these fights with Mackenzie Dern all the time being like, man, if she can't get this to the ground, she's fucking toast. And then every time, like in the Rodriguez fight or in the Torres fight, she finds ways to just kind of still make the fight really dangerous for her opponent. And there's long periods where that's not true, but then there are very acute periods where it's extremely true. And so for me, it's like, do I think if she can't get the fight to the ground with Yan Xiaonan that this is, might be very difficult for her? There isn't a doubt in my mind, but I, I'm not going to play that same game I keep doing with Mackenzie where you know if that all, the, all that needs is that one window to open. I think she's going to find it against Yan Xiaonan, and I don't think Yan's going to last after that. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on this. I'd also like to see something she doesn't do at all, which is calf striking and really try to use the, the potential of kicking to dissuade her opponent. But you sort of showed your hand there, Luke. I do feel like we're leaning Dern in terms of who's the, you know, the, the, the at a higher stock at this moment in what is going to be potentially a very close matchup over five rounds. Caesar Sportsbook, our partners, have minus 240 at the moment for Dern, your favorite, plus 200 for Shaanan. So it sort of seems like they're in the same mindset we are. So, Luke, if Dern wins, how? How does she do it? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, there is the potential for ground and pound. That's another part of her game I'd like to see fully developed, right? If she can actually find these dominant positions and hold them, you know, her submissions will open up with ground and pound and vice versa, right? So one of the things of, you know, does Habib have in terms of pure jujitsu, Mackenzie Dern-like skills? Obviously, he has a very different game and he's a man and he's much bigger. 
But in terms of like all the little intricacies of, of jujitsu, probably not. But if for MMA purposes, he, he certainly doesn't need them. He's adept at submissions, highly so, but he adds in ground and bound to put everything together. But I really believe you're asking me to answer the question about what is likely to happen here. I think Dern is going to have to struggle for long periods of time. I do think we'll see an incremental, um, a noticeable but incremental elevation of both her striking and her wrestling. Not this like she's arrived moment, but that, okay, it's still headed in the right direction for whatever that's worth, however glacially. And I think eventually she's going to find a way either from jumping off the fence, pushing in the clinch, some kind of trip, some kind of knockdown, whatever it may take, and then she'll find the back or get on top and then and then close the show. Sometimes Darren has felt overrated a lot. Sometimes she's felt underrated in the improvements she's made. I think that's something you nailed early talking about the fact that it's kind of proven so far in short bursts that her resiliency, her toughness, her ability to mentally stay in a fight when things aren't going her way, I think that is going to play a key part here because I do, as you mentioned, expect both to have their ways in their particular categories over the first three-plus rounds. But, Luke, I like her backbone to keep her in this and fresh and always dangerous, and I like a submission win, and that would obviously be the breakthrough victory Dern has been waiting for. It would launch her whether she'd have to go through Andrade first or not. You know, to the to the to as close to the doorstep as title positioning as you could guess, although did you hear her tell us in that interview that they offered her Andrade last minute and she did turn that down. Um, you always love hearing the inside scoop, Luke, on how these, you know, how these fall apart situations get made because they do make a few phone calls and people, you know, do throw in yeses or noes based on their situation. But um, this is huge for Dern. This, this is the breakout moment, especially if she can do it by stoppage. On the flip side, though, Luke, we just talked up Yao Shanan's game. She can win this fight. If she does, imagine a decision in which she's able to avoid the dangerous positions and playing the jab game, she can win this. What does a Yan win do to the stock of, of, uh, of Dern and all this talk that we're doing about her star bubbling up at the moment? It would be a big boost for Yan. I don't think it would be a terrible a terrible drop in stock for Dern, but it would be a setback. I mean, in her defense, she still is working on big pieces of her game. She went to the UFC in, what, 2018? It's not like she's been there forever. And she's still less than 30, not by much, I think, but certainly uh, you know, on the right side of it for the time being. And so I don't think it would be that detrimental. And, and by the way, it's like, you know, okay, to lose to Rodriguez in the way that she did was, again, not itself backbreaking. Then she got a rebound against Tisha Torres. If we found out that the other portions of her game haven't been elevated sufficiently for her to really, you know, bring all those talents to bear and win, you'd be like, right, we already knew that. It would be a it would be a problem in the sense that that hasn't changed over time enough, but it wouldn't be anything new you learned. She wouldn't have degraded per se in that sense. Um, and for Jan, I I honestly believe I, I again we talked about this on Wednesday. Do you get a title shot from this? Unlikely, even with a stoppage if you're Jan Shanon. Somewhere in that line, you got to face Jessica Andrade. It probably feels like. By the way, if you're Dern, this is a great setup fight for an eventual fight with Andrade. It's a much easier kind of version of it in certain ways. Um, and then on the Jan side, I think it would put her in a number one contender fight. I really, I really do believe that. It would be enough of an elevation. And plus, as we talked about, they really want to build that Chinese market to have a star get a win like this over Dern and then to set themselves up for a, uh, on the cusp of a title opportunity. I don't think the UFC would pass on that. I really don't. Luke, because Dern has missed weight three times in like her first eight fights, 
there was sort of talk about what was the right divi di division for her. To her credit, Luke, she's, you know, turned her fitness around. Obviously, you can see how much she's worked on upper body building. I mean, she's a, a force in there. She's a physical force. If she ever had to or wanted to, do you see her as somebody that could have similar success up the rankings at the 125-pound division, given that it's, although the fighters are bigger, the, the pool's not as deep? Yeah, I want to see the rankings. I don't have them up in front of me. I'm trying to think. Could she do it? Sure, sure. I think she could have success up the food chain there. You wonder exactly how far, especially with the, the added size, because you know, yes, there were a lot of issues at first, but I don't, I don't tend to think, <clears throat> tend to think that still plagues her. Um, but yeah, I think we do. With somebody with the skills on the mat that she has, that's going to that's going to cover a lot of distance in terms of weight. You know, and she talked about Gabby Garcia, who is I think at the tail end of her competitive career. But, you know, I've seen Gabby in person with Cyborg. She's like 230 pounds, man. She's enormous. She's enormous. And uh, Mackenzie has had some back-and-forth duels with her. I think she's got the kind of game, again, at least on the ground, obviously, that would still very much carry up to the next weight class. But it just goes back to the same things we've been talking about, BC. What about the jab? What about the takedowns? What about all those other pieces that are still kind of missing? It's not like going to 125 fixes that. Right? So that really becomes the central core challenge of her career. Absolutely. Look, before we get to the rest of this card, there was a large topic that you mentioned in passing on Wednesday, and boy, did the news sort of break out directly after our show ended. But the UFC media found out, I think a week ago, or, or whenever they tried to, were, would try to apply for credentials, that this specific fight night card on Saturday, the media will not be allowed. Now, on yeah. Tuesday night after the Contender Series card, when Dana did his media scrum, his quote was, we just figured that you guys have been so busy lately, being the media, that we give you guys a night off. You guys are here on Tuesdays. You're here on Saturdays. We need to give you guys a break. You're welcome. You guys just stay home, order a pizza, watch the fights, take them in, and enjoy yourselves. There's no big secret. We just want to give you guys a nice weekend off with your families and enjoy yourself. End quote. Now, there were some rumors floating around related to that response. And Mackenzie Dern did Media Day, I think the same day that she joined our show, Luke. And it seems she may have let the cat out of the bag. Let's go to that videotape. No fans, no media. Do you know what's going to happen in there? Do you know what environment you're walking into? Or do you have to wait till fight night to find that out? Um, I mean, I know Mark Zuckerberg, like, rented out the whole event, you know, so I know he'll be there. I mean, but I don't know if it's just, like, literally him and his wife or if he's going to have friends, or if it's just, like, a, it'll be, like, a small party. I don't know, you know, but um, from who wanted, like, you know, a main event with a crowd going to, like, very, very private, you know, I'm definitely like, okay, we're going to be back, you know, like a sparring. Um, it's a different type of adversity that you have to get through because you get distracted so easily you know so any like commentating or anything you can if you're not focused your mind can get you know distracted you know so I'm excited you know and that just makes me more um, driven to put on a good show for I mean I know everyone's watching on TV you know but for Mark and whoever's going to be there put on a show if that's what they want to see as a show then we're going to give a show if you're living under a rock, Zuckerberg, the Facebook founder, head of Meta. Luke, this was a rumor that we had actually heard through the channels that had kind of been around. Uh, Dana responded on Twitter to what Dern said. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg did not rent out the UFC Apex. That's total bullshit. So Luke Thomas, 
Let me do my best to set you up here. Um, Why did Adam this... Hunter delete his tweet? I don't know, but um, so is is Dana saying that, uh, no, technically Zuckerberg didn't rent it out. We gave it to him for free so he could put on some weird metaverse shit. Or is Mackenzie Dern wrong? I mean, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, listen, if, if you're the UFC, right, let's defend the UFC here for just a second. If you're the UFC, right, WME is now public. You have a fiduciary responsibility to potentially see if, if Facebook is, or whatever, Meta has come calling about some potential Metaverse expansion into UFC events. You have a fiduciary responsibility to see what that's all about, right? So if it's something related to that and they're, you know, they're working on it, I really don't see what the issue is, you know, especially if it's a one-time thing. You know, UFC starts routinely selling it out to celebrities or, you know, tech oligarchs or whoever, and still kicking out media, that's a problem. Like, you know, you should not cry for fans or media not being there once. But, and I know our media doesn't really act like watchdogs, but trust me, when it really matters, you're going to want them there, even for, you know, um, events that are coordinated in this way. Trust me, because shit pops off and it's better for them to be there than not. But, so if it's just that, like, I really don't see what the big deal is. I have to say, though, <laughs> like, I, you know, I remember when that video came out of Zuckerberg doing his bullshit training with the fighter who was like, well, I think it was Contender Series or one of the other smaller cards he made his debut on. And everyone was like, isn't it cool that Mark Zuckerberg is a fan of MMA? I'm like, you, you guys are fucking frauds, man. You are all frauds. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people fucking harass me over email in my live chat, fucking yeah. tweets and everything else, Instagram, about how they just can't stand our tech overlords. Then one of them shows interest in MMA and you guys can't wait to drop to your knees and service yeah. this guy. First Get of all, the this, fuck out of here. First of all, this wannabe John Dupont is reading your emails and, and, and is like probably watching you through your cell phone camera right now. So that's first of all. But second of all, yeah, Ooh, that's pretty care. lame. So I, I, there's look, nothing in my life he wants to take. I mean, you know, he's got it all, but. All right, in the spheres of, of there's levels to Dana White's lying at times or, or promoters. And by the way, hold I'm, on, let, hold on, hold on. This is the other part. Dude, Dana has, listen, does Dana sometimes tell the unvarnished, absolute, maybe brutal, but important truth? Yes, of course. But dude, he has lied on the record before. He has lied on the okay, record. So, so that, like, that's can what you I'm trust this? here. Absolutely not. You cannot so trust this. In that history of, you know, he's a promoter. So any promoter, boxing included, you got to always take it with a grain of salt. I think any CEO Absolutely. of any company, everything they're saying publicly is company slanted. That's the way it works. But Luke, I feel like this is his way of being like i'm gonna lie without technically lying because you know maybe he didn't actually rent it out that's what i feel like this is but my issue or my question i guess would be is more about not allowing the media in like i really don't care luke if that crowd is filled with third-rate paul anka celebrities or whatever or or you know ufc employees or no crowd would i prefer a crowd yes i don't care about that part my point is if we're going to put UFC up there with the four major sports, as they used to call them, the big four, which it's kind of become, right? Or, you know, a fifth or sixth or however you want to put it. Every single sporting event that's major has media at it. So actually saying the media cannot come into this, no matter what they're doing, whether it's Zuckerberg's birthday party or whether it's some future metaverse thing that's going to make them trillions of dollars. Isn't this an interesting precedent, Luke? When, when the headlines are already filled normally with Dana talking about the scumbag media and how they don't do anything is doesn't this now like become a a tryout for the future which could be hey you know what moving forward no media at apex cards like that wouldn't that like where else does that happen in sports right well that's my thing if it's a one-time thing 
then for whatever reason, again, we don't really, we don't fully know. And again, if it goes back to something related to the metaverse that Meta wants to be a part of, then I, you know, I just don't really care. I don't think it's worth getting upset about. And also, it's private property, right? They own the Apex. This is not, for example, um, well, no one wants to give Dan Snyder any money, but whoever, who who owns the Giants? I don't even know who owns the Giants, right? Um, Mara? Is Mara yeah. the steel? Whoever, but a lot of these te- these owners have to go get public funds in order to help build some of these facilities and infrastructure. That's really not the case with what you have here at the Apex. So I really don't think a one-time thing, if that's what it ends up being, related to the company trying to figure out the future of content consumption, has to kick out the media. I don't think that's worth really where we draw the line. But to your point, if this is actually a tryout and they consistently do it, you know, then I think the media would have to ask itself a question about what kind of coverage they uh, would be willing to provide in these circumstances. Exactly. Um, like it's, so, We're already in the yeah. midst of weird media relations, and I know everyone's going to go, oh, you two tulips, uh, Dana's living rent-free in your you know, self-obsessed heads. Well, now Zuckerberg's living rent-free potentially in the apex, which is where some of us do our work <laughs> on the regular so we can have access, so we can fulfill our job, so our family can eat. So it is, in the end, all connected. I just want, you know, you... I think it's rightful to say, look, what, why? Okay, why can't the media be there? You know what I mean? Is this like, I mean, don't don't they for big comedy shows make you put your cell phone in a bag, Luke, just so you don't like record it? Can't they do something like that for the media? Or I guess not, I'm right? Not, I really don't know what the issue there is, too. Also, here's what I wondered yesterday. I was thinking about this. Now, again, maybe he didn't rent it out. Maybe Meta rented it out, and it's not actually Mark. It's Meta, because who the hell knows how this is all going to go? By the way, I, I would love nothing more for them to just him just be sit there tomorrow by himself eating like chocolate covered crickets like there's just the most <laughs> totally out of his fucking mind thing like this is look at me normal human eating crickets you know that kind of thing but uh i'll say this what do you think they paid whether it was mark out of his own pocket whether it was facebook or meta whatever well, that's it the thing to do for that. that for the for the ufc well, to go to this level and again, if you think that we're stupid, you could just be like, dude, fuck you, media, thinking you're higher power than anyone. Who cares if you're allowed in or not? Okay, I'm just saying, watch the precedent there. So if you're going to go to that level amid, again, a season when it's constantly like Dana hates the media, then it must be a freaking shit ton of money, Luke. And to your point, like, I, we ain't mad at that. Make that money player, as the great Richard Dwyer would say. But uh, the media part is is weird, and now if we're lying, it's weird. We'll find out who's lying at the end of the day, Luke. I mean, I've secured an island. No, you didn't. You didn't do that either. All right. That's it is know. super weird. It's crazy weird. I guess we're gonna see how it goes. Um, let's just see. How, let's let's just see what they do. But nothing would make me happier than old Zuckerberg just eating coins. You know. Like, this yeah. is my normal human interaction. Imagine him there with, like, eight rented women and just, like, you know, trying to look as cool as you possibly could. Or maybe, Luke, it's, it'll be, uh, you oh, know. Oh, hold on. Maybe I do have Trumps one. Do, okay, here's what I want to know. Because there's no way they don't talk about the fact that there's no fans and media there. There's just Zuckerberg or whoever is going to be there with Meta or whatever. How much are they going to force Zuckerberg positive messaging on us as an audience? Oh, How much yeah. do you expect? Pretty big, pretty big. Yeah. If there's a business relationship at hand, Disney, ESPN, they're gonna love. They're gonna this tell idea. us he's yeah. fuck. He's a, he's a he's the next coming of Jesus, and it's gonna make yeah. me want to vomit. That's potential. I mean, but look, if maybe this becomes a private party circuit for the elite, maybe Ramzan Kadyrov is next, then Trump, and then if, uh, listen, if this is gonna become a, a private circuit for like the super elite, you know, a R- Russian yacht tracker wealthy, then they have to wear eyes wide shut masks. I just my rule. <laughs> You gotta and wear no pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hold on. If they're gonna do that shit, 
I got, I got, I got, I got something for you here, BC. It's Friday. Fuck it, right? Let's just have a oh, good Oh, yeah. Here. Fuck it Friday with Tucker Carlson. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, hold on. Hold on. You ready? Go on, go on BC for a second. Look into my eyes. Look deep. They say it's, it's a it window should be, It should be soul. like this, BC. It should be like this. <laughs> do, you, do you get this? Do you know what this is, is from? Is that a Squid Games reference, Luke? Yes, the Squid. I don't have my. I don't have a. I don't have my jumpsuit on. Yeah, they, dude, that would go. be awesome if they sat like that. But they had like a a trap hole to put like a drink to their mouth or or a woman or something, Luke. Dude, that'd be crazy. Zuckerberg right? is Zuckerberg is going to be like Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, what was the what was the movie um, the the Quentin Tarantino cow, cowboy movie, not uh, slave movie that he made with with um, Django. Jingle Unchained. What, dude, <laughs> Zuckerberg is going to be like Leonardo DiCaprio, where at the end he's like, do I hand a hammer to one of these two guys to kill the other one? We're like, no, we don't, we don't do that here, sir. Uh, please relax. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Luke, this card the rest of the way has some, some hardcore hitters. We, we laid it out in, in, uh, in storylines on Wednesday. Can't wait for Slava Claus to be back. But I like to ask you this on Fridays, looking at an undercard like this. Which fight is the most important when it comes to positioning in the rankings? Um, wait, say that one more time. I'm sure I understand your question. Which undercard fight is the most oh. important to the oh, 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 to the oh, oh, oh. to the rankings and title picture of its division? That's a good question. I don't have the rankings in front of me, so I'm a, I'm gonna just sort of do my best to kind of guess here. Um, let's see. Uh, not the co-main, certainly not that one. Um, Sadiq Youssef maintaining position inside the top 15 is interesting there. I don't know where Olenek and Latifi lie, and I don't think anyone else has. Maybe you could say Brendan Allen getting kind of close to the top 15, um, but it's got to be Sadiq Youssef. Now, he's facing a... It was, this was not the his original opponent. I mentioned before, Don Chanis, the Cage Titans 145-pound champ. Coming in at last minute notice or you know, relatively late notice anyway. Uh, Sadiq Youssef is a guy I've, I've had my eye on for a while from this area. Very, very talented. But I'm looking to see if his game rounds out as well. He's been off for some time. This is a big one for him to, I think, at least not gain position, BC, but at least maintain position. Okay. Okay. I like those fights. I like those a lot. Uh, look, Latifi and uh, and Olenek is going to be sloppy as shit. Um, what, we almost need a super sloppy uh, fight of the week flip side luke which is like the professor salt and pepper technical showcase of the week is there an undercard fight that just screams watch me for the x's and o's for sure yusuf and shanus I, I think yusuf is always worth paying attention to there's probably some other ones you could go with for me for me mike davis versus vlacheslav borshev um old slava claus mike davis i think is a guy who has not shown his actual full ability very athletic, good wrestler. He's had a tough schedule. He's had some tough, uh, um, I think, issues outside of the cage. But when you actually just think about what his real uh, real upside is, I think it's pretty high. And this is a good chance, I think, for him to showcase that against a very talented and tough opponent, but one that if Mike Davis is really dialed in, I think could do uh, dangerous things. Luke, sometimes people wonder if the UFC women's featherweight division was ever actually a thing or if it still is. Oh, we almost have a women's featherweight. What we kind of do, it's a catchweight fight at 140 when Julia Stolarienko takes on Chelsea Chandler. You think 50 Cent will be there, Luke? I don't. No. Or maybe that's Chelsea Handler. Yeah. Um, Takashi69 so be... was just in Russia, if you care. 
Really? What, what was he doing there, Luke? Trolling. Trolling. Okay. What, what else does he do? Uh, Jessica Penne, Tabitha Ricci. That may, that may be the one that steals our hearts at the end of the night on, the, on this undercard, Luke. We'll find out, okay? All right. Thank you. You seem pumped up. Uh, topic number two is Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern time is the main card start. Only on Showtime, Bellator 286, Long Beach, California. Yes, the hometown, the backyard of one A.J. McKee who will be in that co-main event. But the main event, Patricio Pitbull makes the first defense of his most recent reign as the featherweight champion after defeating A.J. McKee in their April rematch by close unanimous decision, though, uh, against Adam Boric. Red hot, four-fight win streak from Hungary. And, Luke, you better believe he's hungry for the oh, title. Oh, God. I mean, I, you know, I, like I, it's like I stepped in it, and, it, you know, you stepped in poop. You can't go back inside with those shoes. You know, you got to just stay yeah, out there. Dude, That's, you mm -hmm. are. You're Dave Coulier. Cut yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, I love this main event. The odds, Luke. You want me to talk to you about the odds? Yeah, let me hear it. All right. Here we go. Caesars just, has just to piss off uh, one of our coworkers. Make sure you read them from Bet AG. <laughs> <laughs> Caesars has it minus one fifty for Patric Patricio Pitbull, plus okay. one twenty five for Adam Boric. So Luke, this is a good ass fight. Patricio's more well rounded, but there's a legitimate size difference, and we got to give Boric credit. He's coming the heck on. Although there's levels, and and Patricio's as great as it gets. If Adam Boric is going to be a legitimate threat to, to, to grab this world title, what does he have to do? He has got to get pressure on to Patricio, but without being uh, reckless, right? So you have to have a sustained pressure that's careful but consistent. And if you hurt him, because I've seen him hurt a number of times. Daniel Weichel was one that was really bad. You need to make sure you stay on him and 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 do that also in a strategic way. Pitbull has certainly he's the be, he's the best fighter in Bellator history, right? Certainly the, mo the most decorated. Uh, but he can be hurt. I've seen it. He can be put in bad positions. He can be cut. Like he has not gotten to this position unscathed. Far from it. He has had losses and he's had a lot of close calls even in those wins. But the problem that a lot of guys make is they're like, oh, I did it, great. And then the game goes away. You need to have absolute focus from the beginning of that fight until the ref pulls you away or the referee raises your hand at the decision. You lose focus against Patricio, even when he's hurt, even when he's tired. He doesn't. He is combat ready at all times. And a lot of folks don't really appreciate that. So if I'm a guy like Boric, I'm in his face using my length, using my push kicks, all kinds of stuff, at least threatening takedowns at times putting him on his heels, but I'm mindful of distance, not playing inside of Patricio's boxing range or any of his kinds of combinations, which he uses to shore up that range. That is where all the problems happen when you fight a guy like that. I agree fully with that. And uh, by the way, Bellator did tweet out that all media is welcome to this event, Luke, if they can't you know, go to the other people's one that night. Um, when it comes to what Borges can do on the feet, we know great kickboxer is going to have those potential distance advantages when it comes to height and reach. But look, there's no hole really in Pitbull's game. And if this fight goes to the ground, are we, I mean, is this a spot where Borch can get into a legitimate trouble? Yes. Remember what's the best submission for a guy like that? The guillotine, his guillotine is lights out, man. He catches so many people or at least 
threatens with it, and he has pretty good scrambling. It's not like immediate scrambling, but he is hard to hold down for long periods of time. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu himself. Yeah, that could be a big problem. Here's what I think is the one X factor, or at least, you know, one position to really pay attention to, BC. There is a pretty substantial height differential. I think you read it. Maybe you didn't. Um, the height as listed, 5'11 for Adam Boric. And for Patricio, I think he's like 5'6". Yes, you have a pretty significant um, uh, height advantage. And you've got a guy in Boric who likes knees. Pay attention to that. Dan Hooker is a guy who's got his limits. But when he's shining with his knees, he uses it in all kinds of ways, almost like an uppercut in short range. Um, he doesn't do a lot of flying knees, but he can do that as well. A guy like Boric does. Loves the flying switch knee. Loves the flying jump knee. Loves to use knees inside the clinch where you can really pull down on someone's posture, wear on the back of their head, wear on the back of their neck. That is something that could be an interesting place, and Patricio could get caught up in there as well and hurt and dropped. I want to see how much that actually plays a role in this fight. Is Boric able to bring it to that position? And if he is, by getting inside of that boxing range, because you're going to have to get through that space to get there, how much he can really leverage that. Because if that's a weapon for Boric, if it's something he can consistently find in this fight, you might have a new champion on your hands. That is a real thing to watch. Yeah, it, it makes you want to bite at the upset here because Borch is that good. He's very strong. And, you know, look, AJ told us his fear is that Pitbull wins this fight and then retires. It, You know, I, I watched the Media Day interview. It didn't feel like any of that was in the mind of no, Patricio he's going to go Pitbull. to 135. Uh, right. I mean, that was that was something he's talked about somewhat regularly. Never never quite pulled, never quite did that. But um, so... This is more of the potential trap because of the opponent, but we need Borch to do something that even in this win, like, Luke, he's so solid. But do you feel like he's got to stop Pitbull to win this fight? Like, does he have that extra gear? I know he stopped Pico. He's had some good moments. But, like, had he entered this coming off stopping a guy like Mads Brunel, I would have higher hope. I think he's very, very good to be in this fight. And, and, you know, given the age and mileage on Pitbull, one of these days it's going to slow down a bit. He, he might need a stoppage here, though, to actually do this. Yeah, he might. I mean, do you really see him consistently finding the back, for example, of a guy like Pitbull and then controlling him from there? That seems unlikely to me. People are wary of getting close to Pitbull because for very good reasons. As we mentioned, his guillotine is lights out. He's good at defensive um, uh, wrestling when he needs to be up against the offense, for example, or whatever. And, of course, he'll punch your fucking lights out. His power carry is big in this weight class. So people are usually wanting to maintain some 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 space on him. I think you have to be all the way in on a clinch or all the way out at kickboxing range. That's what I'm going to look for. So um, if I had to guess, BC, it's not a direct answer to your question, but if I had to guess, that is where the two spaces are likely to be successful for a guy like Boric if he's at all able to be successful. Just holding him down or controlling him it's not like Borch has a bad ground game, right? He's actually got a pretty good ground game. He's improved offensively his wrestling. and defensively. Yeah. But does he have a special enough ground game to consistently put a guy like Pitbull on the ground and then control him there for durations of the, of the round slash bout? I'm skeptical. I don't think, so. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I'm certainly skeptical of that. If, if it stayed on the feet for all five rounds, you'd love his chances to compete. You don't know if that would be enough alone, but if the fight goes to the ground, even with his improvements, dude, Pitbull's too dangerous down there. And Luke, let's not forget, Pitbull did bring in some offensive wrestling against McKee to win that very close rematch, which, let, let me stay right here for a second. That rematch, AJ McKee, Pitbull 2, earlier this year. Like, what is your takeaway from what we should have learned from that? Like, it was a... 
it was a gritty flip of the switch for for Pitbull to get stopped almost instantly in the first fight and then win a high IQ, you know, gritty technical rematch. But there are ways you could almost look at that fight as a disappointment and maybe neither guy showed out. How do you, you know, kind of gauge what we how we can learn from what that happened there? So clearly Pitbull is the king of I won't say well rematches, but you know, he's had some trilogies and quadrilogies and, and whatnot. But his veteran, so his overall skill development and his veteran savvy enabled him enough to make changes in terms of strategy and execution from fight one to fight two that made the difference in the bout. However, I am of the belief that, now McKee thinks he won that night. I don't. I don't think he won that night. I thought Pitbull won that night. Close, but I thought he won. However, and maybe you disagree, BC, and if you do, by all means, tell me. I did not feel like that was A.J. McKee's best showing. I thought no. that was a very good and impactful, well-designed plan from Pitbull because that's what he can do. I thought McKee didn't give it as much thought and consideration as he could have and paid the price for it. Do you agree? I fully agree. I think it was a, it was a, st- a setback for McKee, not in in terms of the performance, with the expectations, maybe even at some points the game plan. Because I did have Pitbull winning. I had a three rounds to two. By the way, two of those three judges had it much wider. I think they had it like four one. So, uh, in hindsight, I think at least you know it was Pitbull who at least showed out in the sense that he was able to turn the result in his way, and he did some veteran you know tricks to get there. And I still think at 35, his stock is strong. But here's the thing, Luke. I think he will be challenged here. I think he may maybe even get hurt and dropped. Do I believe though the board is going to get over the top? No. I like Pitbull, even if this is you know if this ends up being the last big win for him, because who knows what he has left or what happens here from here on out. I think he gets it done. This is his type of fight to win. I will join you. I am tempted to pick the upset because I do believe Adam Borish is a very good fighter. By the way, we don't say this very often because it's not very often true, but it's true this weekend and we should say it. The Bellator card is better than the UFC card. Like top to bottom, it is. You might like individual fights on one card better than the other, however, but like top to bottom, the Bellator card is better. I don't say that very often. UFC is almost always better and that's just what it is, but not this weekend. It's a bit, it's a bit better in their regard and this is a fantastic fight. I do believe that Borich can give Pitbull problems. Dude, Pitbull, <laughs> you know, I'll say this. If Pitbull, he wouldn't be who he is if he wasn't as heavy-handed, but he is heavy-handed. And, dude, Boric, he doesn't take a ton of damage, but he will accept some for risk purposes. I think that might be his undoing, man. I think Bellator, excuse me, Bellator, I think Pitbull's going to uncork one on him that he was otherwise willing to take and maybe for two rounds or something did take, and then all he needs is just one more of those later on and it's fucking curtains for you so i'll, I'll side with the champion by the way if he does go to 135 and captures the belt man that's gonna be something pretty special as well. okay but has he actually talked about that in a while look i yeah, haven't heard him he did he did this week this week okay what what did he say specifically so let me pull that up now that you bring it up uh i think he confirmed that's his goal after this fight um okay. i think he said he wanted to let me find exactly where it's from yeah here we go he's gonna According to this is just a re- recap from MMA fighting. He told um, he told I think uh, the whatever the podcast is that Gamera Cruz does. I apologize. Uh, my intention is to clean the division out one more time. I'm already announcing that my next challenger, if God allows, and I defend the title against Adam Boric, then it will be Aaron Pico. Uh, and then I want to defend my title twice. I won't vacate it. I'll keep it, but I'll try to keep. I'll try a shot at one below. I'll try to be the double champ one more time. This time going down instead of up. So he wants this fight. 
the Pico fight, and then he wants to um, ban okay. some weight. Well, that shows you that he's not going anywhere anytime soon unless he, you know, lo loses a whole bunch in a row. Um, that That's good because that plays into Luke. I think how we're sort of framing what the presentation on this card is trying to tell us, being that in the co-main event, AJ McKee, who will appear for the first time since losing that rematch to Patricio Pitbull, is going to be in his hometown, but in the co-main event same card in which his chief rival will be in the main event. So AJ McKee's going to take on Spike Carlisle. He's been a big favorite this whole time, rightfully so right now, though, minus 440 on Caesars, plus 340 for Carlisle. But Luke, here's what's most interesting about this fight week. In the, I thought we were heading in here with the idea that if Pitbull and McKee win, which is very possible, we run it back a third time at featherweight for the title. AJ told us... Uh, the only fight I'd ever cut back down to 45-4 is that trilogy fight, Unfinished Business. But now we got Patricio reiterating his idea to potentially move to Bantamweight, and we do have AJ in his first fight at Lightweight, the same week that Scott Coker broke the news on MMA Fighting's um, uh, The MMA Hour, that Debellator in 2023 is going to uncork a Lightweight Grand Prix tournament. So now I've got to ask you, how much does that news change the narratives entering this card and, and how we thought we might exit it well okay so mckee said he'd only go back to 145 to fight patricio but it sounds like patricio doesn't have designs on that so who knows what they can make him do but let's just sort of figure this out you got this tournament and then he let's say patricio does win fights pico then goes to 135 so that's done what does it do for their 155 division i think it needs a little of a jump so i think the call to do the tournament is right I think McKee would be. Um, they well, have I to guess put it him depend. in. You yeah, they have put to put him. They have to Keep put him in. Face. I guess what I'm asking is, would, would Nurmagomedov also be in the tournament? He would, right? They would make the champion defend through the tournament, right? Well, for, first of all, Patricky's got to fight um, Nurmagomedov oh, first. Yeah. Sorry, to close I'm this assuming, year. I, yeah, right. Hold on. Let me let me dead wrong myself. I am working under the assumption that Nurmagomedov eventually wears the belt. Sorry. Yes. So, look, um, I was hoping Patricio would also join, in the, and I would hope Patricky wouldn't the same. And I know he's saying, they can't fight each other. I hate that bullshit. They say differently. Although, remember, Archuleta told me I'm getting played. Okay, but let's, let's remove Patricio. you got to make AJ, if you're Bellator, the center of this. It's really smart matchmaking to reinvent him now in a second division. And, Luke, if both guys are going to be around, imagine that trilogy you know, after if AJ wins the title and then you get Patricio back in there a third time, you know, or what if he fights Patricio? Nah. Uh, what if he fights brother first on the way there? I'm just saying nah. promotion-wise, I don't hate this, Luke. I don't hate this. I think there's an argument there. I don't think you need to rush back the trilogy if this is now the new plan. I like it. Uh, Yeah, but the brothers are not fighting each other. I know we asked them about that, and I know right, they forget kind that of have bullshit, like... Then. They have kind of played with the idea that, you know, I'm talking about possible. this matchup. If they did it a third time for the lightweight title, wouldn't that bump things up, the meaning of it? I mean, we're asking Nikita to win the tournament, but you get my point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just think, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't really see it as likely. I just don't. I just don't. But for folks wondering who could be in this tournament, BC, here are the top eight. Uh, eight wait, wait, wait. What are you saying isn't likely? You don't think it's likely that McKee could win the tournament and then his first defense be against Patricio for the trilogy? Timing-wise, I don't know. I don't even give that any consideration whatsoever. Okay, okay. Uh, but for folks wondering who could be in the tournament, here's, I don't know who they're going to put in the tournament, but your top eight would be Patricio, the current champion, then Usman Nurmagomedov, Benson Henderson, Tofik Musayev, Sidney Outlaw, Brent Premis, 
Alexander Shabli, and then Islam Mamadov. Dude, you could put some fucking hammers in that tournament for yeah, real. Yeah, you could. For real. And you put AJ in there. Yeah, yeah, they're, you're, you're cooking, Luke. That could be something uh, interesting. You could sub out Sydney Outlaw. You could put AJ in there. You could even sub out Brent Primus, and you could put Godzi Rabadinov in there. So, you have but, some fucking hammers. I'm torn on what you think Bellator should do because we both agree McKee has to be in there, so that would mean we're going away from the the potential trilogy of Patricio, I think we end up back there. You're saying it may not be that likely. So do you think this is overall the right move for Bellator? I, I, I mean, you're making this all about the McKee and Pitbull show for 155, and I just don't, I, you know, maybe Patricky is a more relevant way to think about it. I just don't, I don't, I don't really think about that when I think about this tournament. I think that they're on different tracks at this point. Yeah. One never knows, one never knows. I can't predict the future, but... They're trying to develop that track as something more meaningful than what it is. The Bellator Lightweight division has kind of always been the little brother, frankly, to their 145 division, especially since the departure of Michael Chandler and even Eddie Alvarez before that. All right? it, they had, it had a moment where it was pretty good, but since then, 145 has been for a long time. I would argue their marquee division 205 is coming along now yeah, as well. Yeah, Daniel Strauss, baby, right? Daniel Strauss, and, and, and Pat Curran and a lot of guys before that. Dude, 145 has been a great division for Bellator, and it has been for a very long time. But 155 is obviously a gold mine globally, and they've got some interesting pieces there. I think it's time to really put something together and launch it forward. Tournament's a great way to do that. Look, if imagine if the tournament final was AJ McKee versus Usman Nurmagomedov. Look, I, you know, like I'm getting, I'm getting weird. Yeah. I'm getting See, itchy. See, that would I'm... be. Um, they've got to be on opposite sides of the bracket for that reason. They have yeah. to be. And I know we're messing it up by risking or not getting that fight by doing it that way. I don't care. Do it that way. Well, let's not give anybody a victory before it happens. So AJ's going to have to fight Spike Carlisle. Five-fight win streak since being cut from the UFC. He went one and two there during peak pandemic in 2020. He won his Bellator debut, but, Luke, he got rocked. It was, I mean, it was a wild fight. Spike Carlisle makes wild fights. This, though, for all the storylines we talked about, is, is a reinvention opportunity for McKee. New weight class, new mindset after going through what he said is a, uh, a kind of personal mental breakdown after the loss. His quote during media day was, it's the reincarnation on coming back from the dead, Undertaker style. Luke, whether or not you actually play into the romanticism of that type of build to this, he should slice through Spike Carlisle and should look fantastic doing so, right? Yes, he should. Carlisle is a great athlete. He is dangerous. He takes a lot of risks. He presses forward, and you're like, oh, that creates all these openings. It can, but even a guy who's a little on the spazzy side, especially with an athlete the way that Spike Carlisle is, can be very dangerous, very, very dangerous if you're not careful. You asked that question about how would I would reassess the rematch between Patricio and AJ McKee, and certainly – no one is going to say Spike Carlisle deserves to be talked about in the same reverential tones as Patricio Pitbull, but we did note in that fight that AJ McKee just probably didn't do enough homework on that one, didn't really, but didn't put his best foot forward. Does he need to be at his best to beat Spike? No, but he can't be unfocused either. That's not a great recipe against a guy like this, even for the major skill differential that I believe exists. I still think what I'm looking for from AJ is a, a focused, disciplined, dialed-in elevation of all the skills he has, not kind of resorting to what he has, which he kind of did against Pitbull. And so if he does that and, you know, the fight plays out whatever it does, I just don't see any real way Spike can win. But if he's not careful and he's fighting like a dumbass, which I don't expect, but if he's not, 
Dude, it's, uh, Spike Carlisle is heavy-handed and dangerous. That yeah, there is something, and he'll take big chances. Obviously, yes. uh, there is something that we need to see from McKee about the poise and maturity because he did admit to us that he wasn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't fired up for the rematch. He didn't think it was, he didn't want to do it necessarily. He thought, you know, he, he was fighting for money, and then the negotiations fell apart when he asked for a million per fight. He said he was out snowboarding. They gave him the call, do the fight eight months, you know, after the first one. So. It just didn't go. He wasn't in the right frame that a champion needs to be in. And that's certainly on him. But let's see the lessons he learns at 27. The reinvention uh, opportunity here. Here's Carlisle's quotes: "The Alpha Ginger from this week. If I punch McKee, he'll die. If I take him down, he'll be crushed. No matter whatever I choose to do, it's going to be something he hasn't had the chance to prepare for. I don't need three rounds. Control chaos is my style. I'm a wild man. How does he prepare for me?" That's the real question. Uh, Luke, uh, you know, we, we love crazy fighters who take big chances and land them. Ricardo Mayorga versus Vernon Forrest on the boxing side. Um, do you just go bat shit crazy? And by the way, Luke, we, we sometimes use the word spaz, and we got MK viewers that are like, you guys got to stop using that. It's offensive. I don't know. If I'm offending people, I'm, I apologize, Luke. I'll remove it, all right? This who, guy fights who, like, who is Who is spaz, apparently... I don't know, but they said there's a. There apparently some Hollywood people have taken it out of their lexicon. If it's insulting someone, uh, uh, you know, certainly it's apologize. Short for spastic. But Spike Carlisle fights in a very spastic way. You just got to go for broke, right? You got to make this freaking crazy. Well, I mean, just answer the question straight up. You know, assuming McKee. Let's let's talk about a McKee that's you know there to win and focused on all the things we had just mentioned, right? So that's the one. That's the guy that Spike is up against, not the unfocused one. You're really going to beat A.J. McKee skill for skill? Yeah. No. Nope. No. <laughs> no. That's not going to happen. So I'm not saying do dumb shit, but take some risks, right? Like really, what do you do? Box a brawler? Brawl a boxer. You can't outbox yeah. the guy. Don't even waste your time with that. But you could probably put, pull him into a brawl maybe, maybe. And Just of don't course get there, in the I clinch. The You'll get choked out. He's going to get choked the hell out if they get if they get too close there. Um, okay, he, maybe so, but you're not going to beat him by being more technical than him. That's not going to happen. Absolutely not. Um, McKee's also going to have to show us. Look, this weight, this weight change, it, it may bring about you know an, a huge advantage for him for all we know in terms of his body and how hard. I mean, look, he defined it to us in our room service diaries interview that you can still catch on YouTube uh, that while he can make 145 if he has to. He goes through absolute hell and puts a lot of stress on his family to do so. So, um, could we see a, a, an even more aggressive, explosive AJ McKee here? I'd be curious to see what 155 does for him. I've seen, I will say, you know, it's amazing, dude. Like, I hadn't seen Max Holloway in some time, and then we did the interview with him in, when was that, uh, July or whatever, whatever that was, BC. I don't even remember anymore. It was the first so week of two, July, late, late yeah, June. For yeah, for 276. And dude, if you've never seen Max Holloway in person, you would be very surprised he's a featherweight. You'd be you'd be like, holy shit, this guy's a featherweight. It's thin, obviously, but he has a large frame. McKee is not like that. McKee very much looks to me like a guy who I think probably still better suited for 145. And we already mentioned Spike Carlisle is a big, strong kid. You could say whatever else you want about him. You can't deny him that. Much better suited for 155, obviously. I am curious to see what role that plays. If Carlisle is making him work for the takedown, there's a real physical advantage. I don't think he'd be able to retain that over the course of the bout, but it could make things interesting, certainly early. So that's something else to pay attention to. I'm not convinced. I'm, we'll see. We'll see, but I'm not convinced. I, I, I've just seen a lot of 155ers and, and 145ers and 170ers in my time off camp, 
and McKee did not look to me like a very big 155er at all. So, well, I did have a very large uh, purple sweater on, though. It was hard to really get a, a great feel, Luke. Uh, yeah, sure. The clothes but were so loud, it was like hiding the figure underneath. You know? Let me just say that if you're a... So what So what does a big 155er look like off camp? They're about 190, give or take. They're about 190. That He was not 190. I mean, he was sitting he told at us he walks around at 170, and he's been yeah. as high as 185. Yeah, but that was like way, 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 way off camp. I would say he looks to me like a 175 or for in most ways off camp. That's not big for lightweight. That's not. Yeah. Uh, look, e- even with the fact that this feels like a setup for him, but there's potential dangers. If he does what he's supposed to do and we expect him to do and does it spectacularly, the brand ref- ref- you know, refresh will be ready if they put him as the face of that tournament. Um, there will be big fights in that bracket, and, and you know, I'm looking forward to it, but he's got to win this one first. Look, another very good fight on this card is Aaron uh, real Pico's... Quick, real quick, breaking news, if I can. It's not related to this card, but the UFC one. Uh, Tabitha Ricci versus Jessica Penny is off. Nah. Jessica Penny has some kind of illness. They did not disclose what it was, or COVID or weight cut or whatever, and we don't know. Um, That's that now two camps in a row. Ricci had a her opponent fell out, you know? And, dude, Jessica Penny has had a ton, a ton of uh, just issues making it to fights in the last few years. Um, unfortunate situation. Very, very true. Luke, featherweight battle, Aaron Pico, six-fight win streak. But as we established Wednesday, the Jeremy Kennedy opponent here is telling you it's time to go big. He didn't necessarily bite down on, hey, win and get a title shot, but he knows that he's very, very close uh, he's shredded mentally. He does seem to be strong. I, I, I tend to, you know, I tend to follow Pico in general, Luke. Uh, I, I think his whole story is always going to have that kind of must-see reality TV part of it. Plus, the fights are super exciting. And if he continues down this path of really focusing in on his true strengths and not taking too many chances, I mean, you feel like you're watching a future champion. How tough of a matchup is Jeremy Kennedy? understanding that this is a, a legitimate step up from who he's fought before this. I think if you're if you're just talking about Aaron Pico, who is setting things up the right way, getting to the takedown position, and holding it in a skillful, focused way, we're talking about that with A.J. McKee as well, he has better skills than Jeremy Kennedy. What has gotten Pico into trouble? Abandoning that. Abandoning that. Like trying to win it through sheer force of will or not being careful, or taking silly, unnecessary risks. And what Jackson Wink and and Brandon Gibson have tried to do is to slowly pull that out of him. Set everything up, use your power when appropriate, use your ground and pound when the position is controlled, when you've captured the wrists, whatever you need to do. Right? That's what they've really done. If that's what he's able to do tomorrow, this will not be close. Like The skill level would be, I think, extraordinary. But a guy like Jeremy Kennedy could be frustrating, BC. A guy like Jeremy Kennedy yeah. might be able to get up, who might not, you know, put a lot in his last fight, or I think it was the one before this. I can't remember. It was this uh, recently? He won it just kind of out wrestling the guy, Emmanuel really Sanchez, going, Emmanuel yeah. Sanchez, and not really going for a lot of ground and pound, not really going for a lot of subs. Kind of boring in that way, but you know, he was able to do that. So if he can do that on the defensive end and frustrate a guy like Pico, pull him into maybe taking risks he ordinarily wouldn't, because Pico does. I think for all the competitive you know, know how he has in wrestling, he seems to get rattled a little bit when the when the fists start flying. At least that's what he's shown previously. So it's that. It's composure under fire. Mm-hmm. What kind of decision-making does Pico show? The abilities, the physicality, BC, they're there. It's those other parts we need to see 
has everything come together? Yeah, this six-fight win streak has not been perfect, although there's been some spectacular finishes and overall, like, mentally dialed in a commitment to the rest. I mean, there's times he's been dominant, just ragdolling people on the ground and just all over you looking to finish you at all times. But the self-destruct button is get him into a war. That's when the decision-making goes away. It's either that he believes too much in his hands and his hands are pretty freaking good. I mean, look... How else could you not if you're 18 years old and you're in the wildcard gym sparring Miguel Cotto, right? Like, it's, you know, the, 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 the close-ups he's had on a national and global level at such a small, at such a young age, like, of course that could pro provide an inflated, you know, belief and maybe sometimes, an ad, you know, uh, not the safest risk-taking motives. I think he's taking less risks unless you tag him, and that's when the chin stays out. That's when he sort of dials in, sets down. Um, that's going to be Kennedy's M.O., but in doing, in, in, if he tries to do that, Luke, he may not get knocked the hell out in the process. I mean, Pico can still take you there. So I like Pico to win this, and Luke Duke, Luke, Luke Duke, I like him to fucking hammer him, too. I think it's time, Luke, that, that we are, are waking up to exactly who Aaron Pico is, and maybe you can never officially repair whatever was lost on the initial rise, but I'm wondering if, you know, He's going to end up being the kind that's just better off for all the adversity he did go through, personally, professionally, mentally, all that, because he's he's really turning into a complete destructive force right here. Not perfect again, but he look. I, I I think he can still get there. Is my point. I think he can still get back, like to the point of like being the biggest MMA prospect ever. And I think he's avoided a bust, right? I mean, he's put it back on the tracks. But I still think he can go all the way. And I don't just mean Bellator title. I mean, like, fulfilling that prophecy. It's still in him, and he's still young enough. Yeah. I mean, this is... We'll talk about Bo Nickel here in a minute. But this is why getting his matchmaking is right. Now, Bo Nickel has showed, you know, a ton of early promise. He didn't get choked out in his first professional contest. But, you know, he wasn't fighting the same kind of guy either. Zach Freeman was a was a good veteran when, when they fought. But what I'm trying to make is, dude, they nearly ruined him. They nearly ruined Aaron Pico. He went to four and three at one point in his career. If he had made one more mistake, I honestly think that would have been it. And they have slowly brought him back along. And if he can get a win over a guy like Jeremy Kennedy, I think it would be, you know, that that wouldn't be fulfilling the ultimate expectation necessarily. I don't think that's quite true. But it would be a great lesson in how important development is done correctly done yeah. on the appropriate time scale, which is going to be different for everybody. And they, they really would have rescued his career at that point. I think, let's see what he looks like tomorrow. But if Aaron Pico goes in there and starts dealing, guys like Brandon Gibson need to get a lot of credit for all the work they've done to put him in that position because it got dire for a while. You know, I, I've interviewed him a bunch the last few years through this process of this win streak and the turnaround in New Mexico. And I think, Luke, they're really doing a great job at um, kind of like retraining his mind for battle because it had come so easy because he was so insanely well not just well-rounded like you know so insanely explosive and top-notch in every category that i think it came too easy and and, it, and it, it it lured him into battles he shouldn't have been in they have not only controlled that a bit but actually taught him a, a, you know how to execute a game plan and you can see the difference now and when he's able to go downhill with this wrestling i mean it's it's game over that's it. I would agree. I You've would been agree. But, but, but if if they, we haven't talked about it, if Kennedy gets the win, and in particular a stoppage win, I will tell you 
That would be a really bad sign. A really bad sign. Because the, the Reformation Project has been going on for a while. They didn't rush the Reformation Project of Aaron Pico. You can have your criticisms of it. In fact, most of the criticisms of it, BC, are that, well, they're taking forever. He's still fighting guys he's way better than. Right. They took their time. And that, that, to me, was a calculated move. I actually think it was the right one. He did fight guys he was way better than for a long period of time. But eventually, that also comes to an end. That comes to an end on Saturday. If he can't get over that hurdle, to me, that would be a really, really, really bad sign that um, I don't think real reformation is possible at that point. Bet big on Pico, Luke. Do it, okay? I think Feed he'll win. I think, Pico, I think Pico will win. I think he'll look good. But Feed your stakes. family, okay? Uh, the other main card bout, 10 p.m. Eastern, a reminder, on Showtime for Bellator 286. Juan Archuleta, the former Bantamweight King, has a very important fight here against Enrique Barzola. Archuleta riding the two-fight, losing scared, right? He fought for the vacant title within the tournament. I'm sorry, the, the interim title after current champion Sergio Pettis was pulled from the Grand Prix due to injury. And Luke Barzola came on our radar in that same tournament, winning sort of a play-in opportunity. Although he was eliminated in the tournament, he did show out a bit, uh, a UFC veteran. A lot of people saying this will be your war, your fight of the night. If you want to hear from Archuleta, he said third round. Barzola's going out. Mark my words. Third round. We're going to go out there and make mayhem happen. There's the uh, I'm I'm fired the hell up here. But we got Barzola as a slight betting favorite. Hmm. Who do you like in this one? Plus 105 Archuleta, minus 125 Enrique Barzola. This is a tough one. This is a really, really tough one. Archuleta is um, a workhorse. And he's got a bit of a jousting style, but he's getting up there, 35 years of age. Now, it's not like Barzola is super young at just 33, but he has had a late career reformation. BC, I think he's had a real growth in what he has shown of late. Now, obviously, in the fight against Megamed Magomedov, you didn't get the full sense of that, but um, beating Darian Caldwell the way he did, I thought was pretty impressive. Losing to uh, Evloev when he was in the UFC is not certainly a mark of shame. We're seeing how good that guy is now. I'll say I I like Juan Archuleta a lot. I think Barzola might have something for him. I think Barzola might have something for him. I think he's a little bit more dangerous. And to me, Archuleta, as good as he is, and obviously a champion, uh, you know, been on a bit of a rough run the last two. Granted, it was against Pettis and Stotts, two guys holding belts. He does have the win of Apache Mix in 2020. I don't know. I just feel like Barzola's got a little bit more danger and expediency to what he's doing than the other way around. Do you agree? I do agree. I think the odds makers have it right here. And, um, you know, that patchy mix win was for the, the vacant title. So, you know, he can win big fights. But as he found out against Pettis, meaning Archuleta, so there's still that raw side to his game. That raw side makes him fun, makes him dangerous in close fights late. He can get you the big stoppages. I mean, he goes for it. But... Two wins, two losses in a row, 35. I get the odds at this point. I do think Barzola's the 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 guy who's going in the better direction overall. But Luke Archuleta needs this win. You lose three in a row, you're proving that you're not on this level anymore when you consider your age. Uh, you may have to go back back to the balls-to-the-wall style to get it. This is going to be a close one. This is going to be a war. Um, yeah, you're, you're right to favorite Bar favor Barzola. But I got I to, gotta, I gotta, you know... A kinship in my heart here for for the Spaniard Luke, not just because he his family owns you know those those rolling acres of of uh, GHC farms, 
But um, okay, maybe a big part about because of that you know, look, I and mean, that's pretty cool, right? I don't even know what you're talking. Oh, the THC farms. Yeah, that is pretty cool. That's okay. what we should be doing. We're in the wrong industry, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Bar Archuleta did say once he finishes Barzola. He wants Sergio for the full title when the tournament's over, or he'll go to Dublin and face Carvalho, Luke. Okay, I'm not against that. Yeah, yeah dude, he looked, I mean, we talked about it. He looked great in his last fight. I'd be sized for that, too. Sure. Okay. Uh, Luke, topic number three is what else is going on in the world of MMA and beyond this weekend. Nothing really in the traditional box sense, but you know in MMA, we've got one on Prime Video 2. 10 p.m. Eastern is the main card uh, on Amazon Prime here. And we they, they had a card, what, yesterday morning, Luke, was it? Yeah, 161. Uh, Rug Rug showed up on there. A few different things yeah, he happened. he looked good, by the way. Bring on Bouchesha. Yeah, he had a win over, uh, I'm not going to, guess I have, not going to try to pronounce that. Uh, but, Luke, this, this main event here, I watched the first two fights in here. I went back and did it, and I loved them. Let me get the name right here, Luke Thomas. Zhang Jingnan against Angela Lee. Zhang Jingnan is the current strawweight champion. Lee, the current atom weight flyweight champion. Excuse me, no atom weight, right? So atom. yeah, it's it's they're calling it depending on where you're looking on the on the on the internet. They're calling it flyweight, but it's Sorry, I think it's weight. their atom weight, which is up. Or there's I don't I don't fucking know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. Remember. Who really knows about that? But what we do know, Luke, is this rivalry is absolutely legit, especially when you go back and rewatch them. Both the fights were title top, fights. The one twenty five. Both fights were title fights in their respective divisions. Both featured fifth-round finishes. Both had blood and guts and, and, and stuff. The first fight saw Zhang Jingnan hurt Angela Lee to the body late in round five and get the stoppage on the feet. That was for the strawweight title. When they came back for Lee's flyweight title in the immediate rematch, a rear naked choke with just 12 seconds left in round five as Lee took the back, avenged the loss. This third one is going to be back at strawweight. Yeah, Luke. Okay, I'm in now. I'm ready for this. This is a fun one. You can watch, I think, both of the first fights on YouTube. You can certainly watch the second one on YouTube. Um, this is this is this is a, you know a simplistic way of putting it. Very much striker versus grappler. Um, I, I think uh, Jing Nan can do more than just be a resistant grappler, but she can, or actually, she can do some offensive grappling herself. But really, it's the it's the striking of Jing Nang that I think is going to win this because the defense of Angela Lee, like she shows a ton of heart. She gets hit a lot. She got hit a lot in, in certainly their second meeting. She was able to pull it out very, very late, catching the back and then getting the choke. Um, but uh, but but it, she has to get the fight to the floor there consistently. She was able to do that, obviously, well, not consistently, but she was able to do it enough in the second fight. But that it's really what it all hinges on. It really just comes down to that. How much punishment will Angela Lee take in closing the distance? How soon will she be able to get the takedown? How long will she be able to hold it? That's This is really what about is centered on these two are well matched i do expect the fight to go if not the distance uh you know into the championship rounds a fun one for sure um on on amazon yeah looking forward to this one for sure 34 years old is uh zhang jingnan her only loss in one was uh to lee she's 17 and 2 overall it's in her division though if lee wins she becomes a two division champion so already a lot of history going in that family in the under the one banner um you know Maybe maybe Shotree calls me for the next season of uh, one championship contender. Uh, you know what is it, Luke? The con what is the um, name of the show? You're fired. That that show. You're, yeah, you're fired. Yes. Yeah, that show. All right, uh, Luke. The anything? Apprentice. Uh, the, apprentice. the Apprentice. Thank you. 
to our crack team, Luke, Long Island Luke there. Uh, any other fights that you want to spotlight here, Luke, or can we move on? Yeah, just the Timothy Nastyukin Halil Amir fight. I think it's going to be kind of interesting. That's one to pay attention to. Mikey Musumeci is going to run over Clubber Sosa probably um, in the grappling one. And if you've never seen Mikey, he's like a nerd who loves pizza and will rip you rip limb from limb. So yeah, uh, interesting, interesting little fun fight there. Not dissimilar to, to our producer from CBS, Mikey, who also likes pizza and THC, Luke, and is currently in Amsterdam on vacation. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Love that guy, he, dude. I mean, he loves THC. Does he? Not? Uh, you know, he, you know, uh, who among us, Luke, as you would say. Uh, we also in combat this weekend. BKFC is back. It's BKFC yeah. thirty, Monroe, Louisiana. The main event sees Lorenzo Hunt and Quentin Henry squaring off for the vacant BKFC cruiserweight title as Lorenzo Hunt continues this late badassery that he's showing inside this uh, fighting surface. He's seven and one overall. They don't like each other. I'm sure they're going to bang. But, Luke, from an MMA fan interest standpoint, Ben Rothwell, fresh off of ending his UFC run, he's going to be in a heavyweight co-main event here against, get ready for this guy, Bobo O'Bannon, whose nickname is the Bible Belt Brawler. Luke, he just recently lost to Alan Belcher, did Bobo O'Bannon, but he looks like he could be busting tables at your local bar. I'm sure he hits hard. I mean, this is the kind of circus TV that I I, I got to find a stream. I got to get there. I got to see this fight TV. Is I this mean, where the I'm thing watch is, it? if this was like Ben Rothwell, who hasn't fought since I think twenty like like November twenty twenty one. Remember, he was supposed to fight Gustafson at some point this year. Asked for his release and got it. The thing that gives me concern is like, dude, if this was like prime Rothwell, Rothwell would beat this guy within an inch of his life. I mean, it wouldn't even be close. But like he's at forty and you know heavyweight, and he's never been the fastest guy. He's definitely slower and a little bit more methodical. You know, some dude who bum rushes you in BKFC who doesn't have as many fighting miles on him. You know, like I know the name Ben Rothwell is an elevated one, and it should be. I think he'll win, but I don't know, man. These BKFC fights they find ways to surprise you. If you're if you're one of these local toughs and you don't have too much miles on you, and you take a guy who's had a lot, it can get a little. It can get dicey. Yeah. This is going to end up looking like a barroom brawl, and that's what Bobo O'Bannon does. I'm sure he has to, Luke. I'm sure he's employed there. I'm sure he's a great guy, too. Uh, here's a great quote from Bobo. I begged for this fight, if we're going to be honest. Shamelessly, I begged for it. Somebody is going to sleep. Me or him, it doesn't matter. Somebody is going to sleep. All right, guns blazing there, Luke. Rothwell would say, uh, I can't start slow. I got to go after him. And go, and go time means Ben Rothwell is someone getting knocked the fuck out, end quote. That didn't make any sense. Uh, this fight doesn't make any sense. That's why it's fun, Luke, so I'll be watching that, all right? You I know you yeah. will. I know You're you not will. You're not Lorenzo Hunter? No, no, you don't care, right? No, uh, yeah, nothing personal, but no, I don't care. Okay. Uh, topic number four. Luke, we didn't end up having time for this in Wednesday's Loaded show, Our Bad. It was Bo Nichols' second straight Dana White Contender Series victory, this one in... 50-something seconds. I mean, just insane against Donovan Beard. 52 seconds. But, Luke, that news then spiraled into yesterday when Bo Nickel officially has his first UFC fight already. It's going to take place December 10th. UFC 282 Las Vegas pay-per-view. And it's going to be against Jamie Pickett. And the early fight odds here is Bo Nickel is a minus 1,800 favorite 
Pickett, who lost his last two, plus 1,100. Those were the opening odds. They've surely they've changed since then. Uh, let me get your reaction first on this matchmaking specifically and uh, what this could mean for both. Three, three straight opportunities here, you know, this time on a pay-per-view, Luke. Yeah, uh, listen, we, we the Aaron Pico story is cautionary, and I realize, again, Bo hasn't had the early stumbles that Pico did in the same way. Fair enough, that's fine. They're not identical. But I have saw some folks being like, oh, if you're going to be this much of a matchup, push him along further. The point is, in development, is not, yes, you don't want to book a mismatch if you can avoid it, but there's going to be situations where you've got someone like this who's kind of ahead of the curve, but they're not at their ultimate potential. They're not even really close to their ultimate potential. He's, what, 26 years old or something like that. He needs time to get better, which means you can't put him at the front of the line. So they're giving him a guy who's a veteran, who's you know been in the UFC for a while, who as you know not not some wet behind the ears, nobody who's never been to this kind of show before. He's been to a big show and has experience fighting in, at this level. That's to me quite appropriate, even if I think Bo Nichols probably going to do terrible things to to Jamie Pickett. So I don't mind the matchmaking. At all, I like that they gave him a fight before the end of the year to get him busy because, again, I think he's going to reach his potential quicker than a lot of other folks might. But he still needs time to get there. If you fuck up someone's development, you can... By the way, we don't know what he looks like. If he gets hit, what kind of composure under fire that he has. You know, Brock Lesnar looked like quite the uh, demon when he was dealing, but when he was eating punches, it completely changed everything. So there's still a lot we don't know about him. But speaking of Brock BC, I said this yesterday. I would really like to say it again. For me, for me, I'm not saying that the comparisons are identical or that the world has to agree. Uh, for me, I haven't been this excited about an MMA prospect since Brock Lesnar. Wow. I just, wow, that is I, a- I really think that Bo Nickel is capable, capable of doing very, very special things in the sport. And I want to make sure we, that we, Give his development the proper time to reach its. its well, potential. he's been he's been training with ATT for a while. He's it's clear that there's some key next level parts of his game and IQ and under and feel and timing. But you're right, the small sample sizes have made it to where you're either going on Twitter saying, "I bet your Bo Nickel could beat the world champion tomorrow." Or you're going on there saying, fuck this guy. You know, he hasn't fought anybody. What are we doing? Well, here's what we're doing, Luke. This is the final UFC pay-per-view of the year, December 10th. I bet you they put him in that featured ESPN main event prelim. They should, right? This is this type of personality. Not personality and like, he doesn't have Brock's charisma or personality or aura. We're not comparing it on that regard. No, But to what you said of the expectations that he could just be instantly great, he's got the decorated background of Penn State. I mean... He's got a cool name. Brendan Schaub's calling him the Great White Hope. Luke, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, though. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what he meant by that because that's not a compliment. Actually, it's sort of a bad thing. Um, I so mean, it, I don't. Want, why are we doing us against that? Like, what is this? What? What is? It? Come on. Yeah, it's also, not like- look. Look, my man. My man turns the color of Country Time Lemonade when he gets. Uh, yeah. When he gets to sweating there. Look, I mean, this Bo Nickel turns pink for a little while there, but. Either way, yes, it's not a direct comparison that what Bo Nickel represents is what Brock Lesnar represents. That's not my point. My point is that they're like every once in a while, it's not very often, a prospect comes through and they just are a shot of adrenaline into the sport, a shot of adrenaline into that division, into all different kinds of permutations. Hamzat has been something like that, although his has been weirder in certain ways. But if John Jones was like this, you know, when he came along and it just we couldn't believe what he was doing. Bo Nickel is, you know, far from that. I want to be very clear. Is that he's a prospect, not even a contender. He's not close. But, but it does seem like he is destined for great, great things. I mean, we have, to me, we have no idea. 
100 percent we, we have no idea if the intangibles are there until we find out but i don't think you can penalize him for that i think he is the right guy to make that push if he gets the featured fight we'll find out there but look quickly on that 52 second victory against donovan beard who was 32 years old had a 7-1 record had some length and striking ability well we never got to see it because the footwork that bo nickel used to set up that looping left hand that Cleanly dropped George, uh, um, and then he, I'm sorry, Donovan Beard, and then he, I was going to say Donovan George, a, a boxer. Uh, he jumped all over him, and then submission was like instantaneous. How much more did you learn about his potential greatness? You know, once he launches his first real attack, they, that's it. Like they can't stop it at all because he can just transition from different phases and right away, uh, you know, move them from points of danger to points of danger. Like it's, Remarkable. But what I would say again is I don't really have questions about his offense. I have questions about the other parts of it. Certainly his defense. What if somebody can stop him and then the fight has to be reset? What kind of composure does he have over the course of a fight? You know, I've got, you know, I, I, I won't even make that comparison. I'll skip that part. But I'll just say guys can resort to bad habits when they're still relatively new. He was, still is relatively new. He graduated, I think, four years ago. But he did try out for a world team, even though he had his eyes on MMA. He has only been really training MMA in a sustained kind of way for three years. That's not that long. So you just don't know what kind of bad habits show up, what kind of cardio he's going to have long term. Wrestling cardio is not the same as MMA cardio. They are kind of different. And, you know, again, what does he look like with his composure under fire? I think that's, that's going to be big, big questions that I don't know if we're going to get from Jamie Pickett, but are still quite relevant over the over the long haul. Yeah, I mean, we may not end up learning that until the title level. You just never know, True. you know, if somebody can come on the scene this dominant. But we got to give him the chance to show it to us. Uh, we talked about the the opinions going extremes. Henry Cejudo on his YouTube channel. I want to I want to ask you, Luke, if you agree with any of this. Here's the quote: Cejudo said, "Chamayev thinks he's good in wrestling." His wrestling is nowhere near Bo Nickel. I can tell you that. He can take down these UFC guys that have never wrestled. Try taking Bo Nickel down, and 100% I can see Bo easily taking down Chemaev. I think if you're able to put Bo Nickel against Israel Adesanya now, just according to Styles, Bo Nickel beats him. He puts him to his back, controls his wrists, grapples the heck out of him, and that's all she wrote. End quote. Luke, that's the extreme other direction. Can you pick any truths out of that from Henry Cejudo? I mean, there's a few things he's saying there. He also called him the greatest prospect in MMA history. I don't know if that, or maybe the greatest prospect in MMA now, which that might be true. Could he beat Izzy in a grappling match? Easily. Could he beat him in a fight? Um, probably could. Uh, I don't know that he would, but I wouldn't love betting against it. You know, I think that Bo's got a lot of ability. I think he's got a lot of ability. Now, here's a better question. Does he beat Robert Whitaker given the style matchup? Uh, no, I don't think he does. I think Robert we gotta Whitaker would We got to slow our roll. I'm not being a hater, but we got to slow our roll trying to compare him with the champions right now. Like, let's see what he does to Jamie Pickett, okay? Well, what I'm saying is, you know, Izzy's takedown defense is just comically underrated, both against the fence and in other places. But a guy like Bo could, you know, you, you'd be like he reminds me a little bit of like running over the sport in the way that Nicky Rodriguez did to heavyweight and professional grappling, where he didn't have the same level, so to speak, but he just came in and did, used a particular kind of game to just take over in a lot of ways. I think he could do that in that sense, but that's not serving his long-term interests. It's not wise because if it backfires, which against these very elite guys, it could easily backfire then you can really fuck a guy up. So it's not worth it even going to those places for those reasons. But like, dude, who, you know, do I think that 
under the right circumstances, Bo could beat top five guys. Yeah, I, I think he could actually. It's just it's silly to put him in there for all of the risk that you'd be courting. Yeah, if you want more on this specific topic, our colleague Brent Brookhouse of CBS Sports wrote a feature this week exactly on what we're talking about here. Uh, speaking of Chemayev in the same sentence as Bo Nickel, let's go to Bo Nickel's post-fight interview after that win on Tuesday where he made two very big call-outs. If the UFC wishes, give me that Swedish dude. Uh, you know, I don't think uh, he might not be the best guy because he can't even make weight, but if that's the case, then uh, I'll take him. If not, then uh, give me Logan Paul, UFC debut, me versus Logan Paul. I think, you know, I know he has some skills. If it, we can't do it in the UFC, let's do it in the WWE. I'll meet you in the ring. You ready for Hamzat Shemaev right now? Is that what you're saying? Let's get it, baby. I'm here. I'm training every day. I put the work in. I make weight. Let's do it. I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but when he was talking to Laura afterwards, he actually called out Hamzat Shemaev and said that's the fight he'd be interested in. So let's not get crazy here. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Dana a little bit too. I want to see that fight, just not right away. Okay, him and Logan Paul, you got interest, Luke? I'm told Logan Paul wrestled uh, decently well at the high school level. Um, yes, you know, but like, dude, Bo was beating the fuck out of guys at the collegiate level. Uh, I don't think that'd be much of a match. I don't know what we have here, Luke. I'm certainly excited to find out, but I, but like. We do have to. We do have to slow the roll. I mean, we got like. I don't want like. Don't ruin the guy. All right. Yes, th him. that's the thing. It's like, look, could he go in there and have success? Yes, but if it backfires, you could undo everything. Don't yeah. do it. Take your time. He may be different though, especially when we're talking about seventeen-year-old from the same contender series, uh, Rosas. Is that Bo Nickel is twenty-seven and he has been in very high-profile situations and shined before on the NCAA championship level. All right, Luke, let's go to our fifth topic, which is quick hitters, a little uh, hits and misses here of things we missed throughout the week. Uh, Luke, let's get your definitive take on it. Aspen Ladd has been cut by the UFC after a third fight cancellation due to weight. Dana White talked to reporters on Tuesday saying, we tried to work with her. She's a great kid. She's a really nice person. It's never fun when you have somebody who's actually talented. She's a talented fighter, but part of the job is making weight. She's not made weight so many times. It just had to happen. Not something you want to do, but something that had to be done. End quote. Do you agree? I agree. I think Dana's right. I think Dana's 100% right. I totally share that opinion. Look, listen. I remember the first time I showed up to a weigh-in. I'd never been to a weigh-in before. Um, I don't know when this was. It was a... 20 years ago or something like that. I remember I went to a local card and I wanted to go to the weigh-ins just because I was a hardcore fan. And I talked to one of the fighters there and he said something to me that kind of stuck with me. It sounds silly and cliche and you've heard it a million times, but he said, I've got two jobs. I, one is to make weight and then one is to show up tomorrow to fight. That is part of the job. It's a professional responsibility. And I understand if you're not in the right weight class, we have to make smarter decisions about um, what, where, what weight class you should be in, about getting a nutritionist, all these things. But it's just really, really, really unprofessional to do this it's like showing up to work it's worse than this but it's like showing up to work chronically late despite multiple warnings despite demotion in the job and you're still doing it it's like dude you got a problem you got a problem you gotta you gotta be more professional about this whatever that means weight class diet whatever whatever the the, the solution there is but that chronic unprofessionalism just it's you're not like cutting her because you can't tolerate it you're cutting it because they need to get something right with what how they're operating before they're ready to take on 
the fuller range of the responsibilities that come with you know fighting the very best fighters in the world in your weight class. So I, I and I don't know what those issues are. That's over up to her. I've had her in studio. She's a lovely person. I agree yeah. with Dana that she's very talented. But yeah, I agree with Dana. It was it was the right move. Uh, I I agree with everything you said right there. Let her get a couple wins outside of there. Prove again she can make the weight. She's got to look internally. Uh, you know, does she need a new trainer, Luke? Or, or is it too close for comfort? I don't know. Is it more about a nutritionist? I mean, Chef, Chef Cass is available. Talk, we don't talk about that. I would say in general, I would say in general, I don't know the specifics of their relationship. I've not been around them. I have no idea. You're talking about Jim West, right? Yes. But wouldn't you say as a general rule, with plenty of exceptions, but as a general rule, I just don't like the idea of training with a significant other or spouse. I just, there's just not a lot of evidence that really elevates you over the long term, to, to yeah. from what I can tell. I, I'm with you on that. Change's got to be made or it's going to be over, Luke. Uh, did, speaking of Chef Cass, did you see him doing capoeira with Paulo Costa on a park on social media? It was, I don't think Connor would have liked it, but... I said, oh, dude, you love... You love talking about Chef Cass and his weird <laughs> shit that he does. Yo, Chef Cass is a capoeira instructor, okay? He's, that's, that's that's my guy right there. All, all right, right, Luke. All right. All right. Uh, also in the quick hitters here, Luke, uh, this Tyson Fury shell game is it's really starting to piss me off. Dude, this is he, so fucking lame from him. He so kept lame. Pushing, this is why I got upset from the beginning. People saying I went too far. Luke, he kept pushing the Anthony Joshua deadline further and further with, with these weird videos he's putting out there. Now AJ missed it, so now... Mahmoud Char, who used to be known as Manuel Char, fought Vitaly Klitschko as a mandatory contender 10 years ago, got sent to hell. I mean, hasn't done a ton since then. Has been a, you know, somewhat respectable heavyweight. Well, Char's already been on social media for weeks or months saying he's in this conversation. He's ready to fight Fury. It's making it seem like this whole stupid bullshit is, is he was going to fight Char all along and maybe used the, the front of a Joshua fight he knew they all wouldn't take on short notice like this as sort of a frontal ploy. Um, let's go to the most recent videotape that Fury put out on Instagram about what his interests are for a December 3rd comeback fight. Just been doing a little bit of brainstorming. December 3rd's coming. Manuel Char's agreed. Mahmoud Char, sorry. Um, why don't I fight two people in one night? Mahmoud Char and somebody else. That would be pretty damn awesome. I'd probably be the first WBC heavyweight champion to have two fights in one night, and that is a guaranteed fact. What do you think? What we saying? Are those his eyes? They look scared. What the hell? It looked like he had like weird ass contacts on or something, Luke. Um, I'm absolutely sick of this bullshit. I mean, you want to fight a guy twice in one night? Go fight KSI twice, all right? I don't get, like, we don't care. Here's the deal, Luke. If you want to get well fighting a comeback fight and a stay busy fight, just tell the world, I want to come back and stay fresh for the Alexander Usyk 4 title undisputed unification that we've all been waiting for, including Fury. But now we got to go with some bullshit fight that seemed like the plan all along. I don't want him to get hurt. I don't want him to walk out of there and say, hey, I'm retired. I had a good run, and we're never going to get this fight. What are we doing here? Dude, Fury's... Look, he's got a long history of being in front of the microphone and saying ridiculous things and pissing off everybody. He's also been, you know, a friend of boxing in this comeback as, as a guy who just is a light, right? I mean, he's fun to watch. But this is... It just... Something seems so inauthentic about how he's operated lately that, like... Okay, come back you, and fight Charles. You mean charge. his media trolling has been a 
a uh, process of inauthenticity. I mean, I even deeper it. than the normal bullshit theater that he already does, which you could love or hate depending on the situation. Even deeper than that, it's like... I don't have any type of assurance that he wants to fight Usyk and, and make this happen. I don't even yeah. feel like he wanted to fight AJ, to be fair. And yeah. why would you here's, make a fight here, that here's big my read last on, here's, my read on, here's my read on this. I think that the Char fight, one way or the other, was somehow what he found himself close to. And then I just think that they used the bu bullshit deadline of the AJ fight to be like, oh, well, see, I had to fight this guy. That's the issue. And he knew that the crowd otherwise might not be loving of the whole idea. So this is a way to save face in it and be like, oh, I tried. He didn't say yes. So you know what? I'm going to go to somebody who actually does. Whereas I tend to think this was the plan all along, quite actually. So there you go. And, and like, if that was, then why do this bullshit game? Why retire every other week? I guess it's to stay in the headlines and piss us off, right? But now it's like you're 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 effing with our dream here, right? I mean, now, now you're effing with our with our heart and our money. Why is the camera still on you, Luke? They must love you. The directors. Yeah, well, there I mean, you know. There oh, we they were like, man, did you see this nudes? Oh, shit, Luke, wrong camera. There we go. All right. Somebody's vaping. By the way, Luke, you get called out on the carpet for vaping during the Dern interview. You classless POS. Yeah, I got to say, I don't care. <laughs> don't care. It doesn't mean that criticism. You're like, hold on, Mackenzie. Tuki, ashtray. Come on. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah, this is the right. buzzing of flies to me. I don't, I don't okay. care whatsoever. Okay. Uh, I don't care about Fury versus Char. I'm not against him taking a tune-up. Just enough of the bullshit. Do what you're supposed to do. Prove that you're the best heavyweight of this era. And we will laud you with love for the rest of your damn life. That's how it works. It's not that hard of an equation. All right, Luke. Also in the news, UFC booking a trio of interesting fights. I'm going to read the date and the matchup. You tell me your reaction. We start December 17th. Armand Sarukian versus Demir Ismagulov. Your feels at the moment. <laughs> Uh, not that I could say those names a whole lot better, but that was a funny rendition. That is just an incredible contest. And that that is, you know, he just fought Gamrot, Saryukian did, so now he's on to Ismogulov. It's like they're not taking their time with his development, and I don't know what that's going to do. I don't know what that's going to do, but that is one hell of a contest. If you don't know, Ismogulov has a phenomenal jab, fantastic distance management and boxing, lights out takedown defense for the most part. So that's a real tough challenge for Soyukin, whose striking is coming along and whose takedowns are outrageous. But as we saw against Gamrot, if somebody can really be forceful with their resistance, it's not as lights out as you might otherwise imagine, although we're talking about only against other guys this young and this talented. But to this next generation, they are taking over. And, and this is great either way. The winner here would be very deserving. It's a big risk for Soyukin, uh, given all the things that has happened already. He, Armand Sayukin only loses to guys that are absolute MFers, Luke, and he's pretty damn close to being right there along with them. This is a tough yep. as balls matchup. Can't wait, even if I can't pronounce anyone's name. Uh, January 14th, the first UFC Fight Night main event of the new year, Kelvin Gastelum versus Nasruddin Imovov. Oh, yeah, right? Uh, fantastic fight. Um, Imovov is on his way. Great guy out of, uh, obviously, he trains with the MMA factory in Paris. And against Buckley, kind of faded down the stretch. So you wonder what the issue might be if Gastelum's able to take it late and, and what a, a veteran like that could do. But also a time for Gastelum. It's like, dude, he, his stock has slipped a lot. It slipped a lot. And remember, this is the guy that's supposed to fight Whitaker and then didn't and then fought Izzy and, and the fight you were there for. And, was, and, and even though he lost... I thought that was one of Gastelum's better performances in terms of the skills he showed to to give Izzy a tough, tough, tough fight. 
But since then, dude, it's just re- been real up and down and more down than up. And no one, okay. if, unless you're a hard, let me say this, unless you're a hardcore fan, people don't know who Imavov is. Imavov is, is probably going to be favored to beat him. I know I get I know I get labeled as a Gastelum sympathizer, maybe because of the romanticism of that night at two thirty six in the front row with that weird orange pullover that I wore, Luke. But is he always inconsistent? Yes. He could be just as good one night and then get stopped by Weidman. Ram or whatever. You know, like it just happens. The performance of him against Adesanya, you know, probably gonna end up being the best he ever was on a given night, and he was good enough that night to, you know, nearly damn steer the take away the interim title. Would you say at least if there's a saving grace, you can only have so many losses before they're going to get rid of you, right? But the level of performance he's been putting out against Robert Whitaker's Jared Cannoneers has still been pretty damn elite, Luke. So what does that make you? Middleweight Dan Hooker? Congratulations. But would you at least give me that? that he's? It's not that he's fallen recklessly. He's just not winning consistently on the highest level. Yeah, but like... It, the, w- for example, like the fight against Jack Hermanson was he just was not even really there. It was just hardly any resistance. He has stinkers. At all. Yeah. Uh, okay, but that like that should be factored in. You're asking me like is he is he a dangerous, talented guy in the right circumstances and someone inconsistent with it? Yes. But the reasons for the inconsistency is what gives me a little bit of pause where he could be forced into long standing wrestling exchanges, particularly like if you saw in the Kennedy fight, he didn't win it, but like someone could reproduce it from the back or you know his submission resistance, or just the kind of um, the kind of intensity he needs. Like the intensity he had in the in the Izzy fight was tremendous. Again, he pushed him to the brink. I just haven't seen enough of that since then, and I think that's really been a bit of a problem for him. Yeah, he did. Technically, he's still there. I mean, he 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 was good again in those high level losses, but you know you do have to win eventually. Uh, January twenty third in Brazil, UFC announcing RoboCop's return. Gregory Rodriguez against brad tavares your reaction so that's robocop right robocop taking on brad tavares they're moving him up the food chain man brad tavares is one of those sort of like first early tests for like okay you're gonna be something at middleweight remember what a big deal it was when shabazian blew right through him now it turned out that that he had subsequent issues to that but this is that this is what they're doing with robocop now they're like okay you have proven enough against talented, dangerous guys who are outside of that, you know, 15-ish orbit. Let's see what you, we can do when we push you up the food chain a little bit. Brad Tavares is tough to beat. He can he has a tremendous chin, fought very, very good guys. Um, you know, against the Shabazian, it didn't go so well for him. But in general, he's a handful, well-rounded, trains with a good camp, good coach. That's a tough fight. We'll see. Okay, Luke, the PFL had an interesting announcement. We know that November 25th is what's likely going to be the date for the PFL championships. Uh, there's no location yet, but we got a fight added to that card. Shane Burgos against Marlon Marais. Both would be making their PFL debut. Uh, I get with Marais's situation, we're a little leery, but this fight, it doesn't suck. Surely doesn't suck, I don't suck, know, Luke. dude. Marais has been on a terrible losing streak where his chin is completely gone. And he's going to go up to 145 to fight a, a willing participant in those exchanges. Like, yeah, I mean, you're, I you're get not you. worried at all. I get you. I get you, Luke. And also, I, dude, let's just, be, let's just be honest about that. Am I going to look at that card and be like, that's a bad card? No, I would not look at that card and say it's bad. Say it's pretty good, all things being told. But on pay-per-view, PFL is going to take a bath. They are going to take a financial bath on that card. It is not pay-per-view ready at all. Is it definitely a pay-per-view? I think, uh, I'm not sure if it's... Uh, Yes, I believe that it is. I believe I, 
dead wrong right. me if I'm wrong, but I believe that. Right now, here's how we stand. Kayla Harrison versus Larissa Pacheco, their their third meeting. This will be for the yes, Women's Lightweight Championship. Yes. Bubba Jenkins, Brendan Locken in for the featherweight title. Olivier Oban Mercier and Stevie Ray at lightweight for the belt. Sada Boussi and Delano Taylor for the welterweight championship. Omari Akhmedov and Rob Wilkinson at light heavyweight for the title. Ante Delizia and Mateus Scheffel uh, for the heavyweight title. Then you've got Fine Burgos... Fights. Marish, and then you have Biagio Ali Walsh, the son, the grandson, excuse me, of Muhammad Ali, making his debut there. Yeah, these um, are fine fights. There's nothing wrong with them, but dude, that's going to tank on pay per view. You would almost need the next guy on the quick hitters, Eddie Alvarez, Luke, who uh, talked to Ariel Hawani's MMA Hour and said he's got one more fight deal left in him, three to four fights. And when it comes to, he says he's going to have a meeting with everybody you'd expect, but he's willing to go to either UFC and, and seek the trilogy bout with Michael Chandler or to PFL, the, the $1 million offer is not is not awful, Luke, or he's not leaving out a return to Bellator because his issues, as you mentioned before, were with Bjorn Rebney, not Scott Coker. So he's going to hear from everybody and make that pick. Uh, if PFL added him in a sexy matchup, that could could change it here. But what, what do you, do you have a favorite in this race for, uh, for Eddie Alvarez? If I was him and I would, you know, again, almost 40, not quite. Um, I'm doing everything I can to box Nate Diaz. <laughs> yeah. Right? I just, you know, PFL will probably pay him a good wage for sure. But this to me is like, you know, he didn't fight chumps and won. I want to be very clear about that. He fought good fighters. Uh, and he got a he got a nice win after getting dropped by Edward Fullyang. But he had, you know, that, what, that he's not prime Eddie Alvarez anymore. He's not. Yeah. And I think we just need to be accommodating of that in the matchmaking. So who at PFL would be a good matchup in that sense? And I don't think he should go into that tournament either. Um, yeah, if I'm him, I'm trying to box Nate Diaz or Jake Paul. I mean, right? him against, could you do him Jake against Anthony Pettis somewhere at some weight, Luke? Okay, but is that really going to move the needle in 2022? Uh, no. no, no, it's not. It's certainly not. Yeah. That's a very expensive fight that I don't think would give you the kind of return it would have, say, six years ago. What if BKFC overpays him to do a Mike Perry pay-per-view fight? That's that's something. Okay. Uh, you know, the weight would be a little bit of an issue there because he would be a smaller 170. But um, that's that's possible. Oh, God, that is... Can you imagine being 40 years old and you got to go fight Mike Perry bare knuckle for a check? Like, I don't know if I'd... That's a, t that's, that's a, that's a hard Dude, way to make a living, man. Every single fighter I talk to, from Keith Thurman to AJ McKee, when we bring up BKFC and even when we mention, you know, relatively big names that went there and got sliced up and carved up, they're like, oh, I wouldn't get touched and I would do it in a second. Everybody says that, that we, that we ask, right? They're always they, like... They all oh. get touched up. They all get touched up. They, but that, but like because they're fighters at the core, they're like, I'd do that in a second for that money. So uh, the fears may only be in our hearts, Luke, not theirs, okay? And that's what makes them yeah, special. Yeah, I know, that's but like you got to take fighters' self-assessment with a grain of salt. I once I saw Tim Kennedy being like, he's covered in blood. I forget which fight it was, but there was just blood everywhere. And the post-fight interviewer was like, you know, were you worried about all the blood? He's like, ah, it's just blood. I'm like, oh, yeah, word. The thing that gives you life. You just, yeah, I just don't mind losing two or three gallons of it. Like, you know, there is their, their risk assessment and their medically advisable takes are, uh, you know, things Look, you need to be a little bit cautious about. Do you like your freedom? I like my freedom fries. Thank him. Okay. Thank him for that. Uh, Luke, we got a segment every week that we close with Fridays. 
Morningcombat at gmail.com is your entry to this dark web of deceit and lies in which you think we've made an error this week and we need to stand trial because we're potentially dead wrong. Yeah, I've heard that the... Uh, I'm told that the... the uh, what do you want to call it? The serving that we have today is... is uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like a foot-long hot dog that you and I are going to have to munch on like Lady and the Tramp and then kiss at the end. Okay, okay. Uh, you better come with a receipt and you better come original and bring it. Okay, here we go. Number one is from Owen W. of the Netherlands. Wow, he's Dutch, Luke. Hey, guys, at 107.01 of Monday's show, talking about Joe Joyce beating Joseph Parker, BC passionately states, I mean, Parker's been stopped before. Stopped before? Stopped by South Auckland's finest, perhaps, for driving with a faulty brake light? Because he sure as hell hadn't been stopped before in professional boxing. He lost to AJ and Dillian White by unanimous decisions. Come on now, BC. Keep them tools sharp. I didn't make 25 email accounts to vote for your washed asses for you boys to lose that MMA award to a guy that is at best, at best, five foot four. Uh, o and W. Wow, that is hilarious. Um, so yeah, I was referencing in my head the Dillian White fight, trying to remember if he got stopped late in that. He didn't. He lost by decision. So there you go. I take the L. I was wrong. Okay, thank you, Owen. Look, I, that didn't hurt that badly. Okay, not too bad. Uh, listen, when they make the roast funny, it always makes the medicine go down a little bit easier. That's right? true. Yeah, that's like I told my new doctor yesterday, Luke, when he told me my liver levels are not where they should be, and told me to lose twenty five pounds, and I'm working on it. By the way, um, I said. Do you have anyone on staff with small fingers that would be perfect for the prostate exam? I, that's my pre, that's my preference, right? Right? He gave me a he didn't like yeah I don't know. He, yeah. I hope I hope Tony Robbins does your prostate exam. Small hands. hands smells like cabbage. All right, Luke. Number two here. Greetings, dongs. Been a fan since the MMA beat days and haven't missed a single episode of MK ever since it came out. I'm from Peru, but I've been living in New York the last couple years, so I can't wait for you boys to come and do a live show here. I'll be there 100%. Anyways, I don't know if the fact that I was caught this by mistake by BC makes me a horrible person, but at 2437 of Monday's show, Brian said that, quote, you never see Mackenzie without her husband or daughter. That is dead wrong. She hasn't been seen with her husband for months now, and not only that, she has deleted every photo she had with him on IG. If you look at the comments on some of her more BBL-ish posts, there's always a bunch of degenerates like myself saying how she's got that recently single goal. Are we really doing this right now? Does she qualify as a BBL? I guess you'll have to ask Luke. Uh, he This is uh, Al, L, and he closes with bonus track during Luke's latest live chat. He said that Christopher Waltz from Inglorious Bastards is German when in fact he's Austrian. Hope to see you soon in New York. I'll give you the name of the best Peruvian restaurant. It's way better than Colombian food, Luquito. Wow, Al is throwing darts out here. Well, Luke, he is uh, right. The best food in South America is Peruvian. That's that's a fact. That's a fact. But yeah. he also sounds like a prick. So fuck. Okay, I mean, I I didn't look that closely. I didn't look that hard. If I, I hope that has been still in the picture, Luke. I don't know, but he's claiming it's not our that's not our area, right? We went down that yeah, road also, with Chayanne. Also, sort of a bizarre before. dead wrong, but maybe he's right. Maybe there's something to. I've not I've not looked. I don't follow her on social media. I got so caught I in that. Say. I thought Tisha and Rocky had fallen apart a few times, but Luke, the rings are there now. I'm I'm happy for them. They made it, okay, Luke. Um, good, I hope good, that. Good. Yeah, you're like move on, BC. Thank you. Move on. Uh, this is Rick B. Hello, you washed beer pouring fool. Not sure if you count this as a dead wrong, but by your definition, however, watching BC pour beer during room service diaries with Chuck at 3520 mark really hurt me personally. 
pained me to the core, if you will. My soul in BC might understand what that is. He cried out in utter condemnation. I can understand why BC's liver is black as it has revolted to the total disrespect one should have when pouring a beer. To hold the glass upright and pour from 10 feet above was a giant slap in the face to both the bear and to Chuck. Granted, neither can fight back, however. Had I been there, I would have given BC a sternly worded rebuke about how incompetently he attempted to fill Chuck's glass. Holy fuck, learn to tilt the glass a little, and then you do not get a glass full of head. For someone who seems as adverse to talking about giving head to others, BC, you gave head really well. So, Yours? BC, I, I have something interesting for you. It's funny that this guy brought this up. I actually went down some YouTube rabbit hole a couple of weeks ago or something, and I saw, you know what a Cicero is? No. A Cicero is like a, it's the, it's the beer version of being a sommelier, right? So you're a sommelier for wine. A Cicero is what you would call that rough equivalent in the beer world. So someone who knows a lot about beer and curates it and all that kind of shit. Yeah, the Somalians. Uh, yeah, I, I know them, Luke. I uh, saw that, that, they're, that's they're from East Africa. That's a little different. But okay. um, what I was trying to say was he actually said it's not correct to tilt the glass. And what he said was the reason people tilt the glass is because you think of a keg party and you're trying to fill the solo cup as fast as possible. You don't want the top to be filled with heads. So you're just trying to get as much beer into the glass or the cup and out as possible. But if you actually want to enjoy the beer, this is what he said. So I don't, I'm just going to repeat it. What you actually want to do is you do want to pour it straight down and actually give it time for the head to 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 appear because that will allow you to enjoy more of the aroma of the beer and bring some of its flavors to life in, in the process. I didn't know that. I've never double-checked that. But if that's the case, then this guy is wrong and you were right. Wow. It wouldn't be Luke Thomas without coming up with it. Well, actually, it's right. And I, and I heard your synopsis and it probably is right. But Luke, am I really dead wrong here Dude, by Rick B? I don't B? understand I mean, why that's a thing. People, I know people, again, people hate this kind of shit, and I get it, but it's like, if that's the actual truth, why aren't you supposed to say it? I don't Thanks, Millhouse. Yeah, uh, but here's the deal, Luke. Suck, um, suck my balls. How about that? Rick B, how about you suck my balls? I don't mean to break <laughs> kayfabe here. And believe me, anyone that's, you know, grown up with me in Nogtech, Connecticut knows I've, I've had a few piss pours in my life. Believe me, a lot of head there. Luke... I don't, do you know the, the comedic options that open up if I purposely piss poor on a live show with dick jokes? I now have more opportunity, Luke, to give yeah, head but the, jokes. The jokes okay? are shitty. I, I won't defend your stupid jokes. That one sucked. But Sometimes the, the shittiest jokes is the perfect gateway to comedy that you never saw coming. And by the way, that episode of Room Service Diaries, the most recent one with Chuck Mendenhall, you can check yes. out right now at youtube.com slash morning combat. Luke, I don't normally rewatch these. I, I watch the whole thing. It's great, dude. It's great. It's great. great. It really came out quite well. Yes, I really enjoyed it. Chuck's Chuck's great. A blast. Was it a piss poor? Of course. Was it purposeful? I mean, you do the math, bro. Okay. All right. It's not. I mean, we all can't be professional comedians. BC, fucking get through these. Jesus. Yeah. Why would we have any more fun, Luke? It's time to go home and complain about our jobs. Yeah. All right, Luke. Let's (laughs) go over here to uh, Dana Blanco. Is that Dana White? Uh, good day, Team Morning Combat. This is my first dead wrong submission, and I'm hesitant to bring it up, but at 2445 of Wednesday's show, Luke blindly states that he doesn't go anywhere without his wife and child either. Well, Admiral Donk, do you travel to the Orchids of Combat studio with your wife and child? Dude, do you these travel are the to worst Box? dead wrongs. I mean, oh my God. Are these statements of literal truth or generalities about the way in which we live our life? These are terrible dead wrongs. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think not, Major Unicorn Vape. That would be dead wrong if you did. Keep calm and never speak in absolutes again. This is what happens when Mikey goes on vacation, right? We have no filter. Yeah, there was the, no one did the quality control. All right, let's burn through this nonsense. All right, uh, Mike J says, on Wednesday's show at an hour and 14, BC stated that the positive tests by USADA no longer go public. That's dead wrong as fuck. It's not that they no longer go public with the positive tests. It's that they wait until the fighter in question has gone through any disputes he may have, i.e. the tainted supplement defense. If it was to avoid having fighters get heavily criticized by everyone as a cheater for a PED they never intentionally used when the news initially breaks, That's correct. which can harm reputation in the eyes of many who aren't Luke TRT Thomas. Mike J, you are correct. I'll take that somewhat pedantic dead wrong. and um, No, he's right about that. No, I mean, he's right, but, like, I, I meant that at the same time, Luke. I was kind of speaking generically, but, you know, he is right. There are people who gotten screwed by USADA. So does this rule, in theory, have protective elements to it? Yes, Luke, but does it mean... I mean, you know, in theory, the, you know, Senator Palpatine had good intentions on paper, in theory, Luke. Then he killed all the Jedis, right? <laughs> Dude, he's, they have, and Anakin slaughtered the children, I mean... Dude, Anakin is such a bitch, man. I mean, he's the I worst... Know. How did a guy that lame become that much of a badass, you know? Trauma, that's how, okay? And he had fucking gave birth to a whiny kid, too. Luke Skywalker's the whiniest hero in history. Yeah, but in episode six, he's such a badass, Luke, that you can forgive it all. You really can. You have to. I mean, he's lame when he's old, but prime I agree. By episode six, he had some BDE, but in episodes four He took job downtown. Yeah, that was great. Episodes four and five, he was a fucking incel. God, he was annoying. This is Joel C. Hey, Donks. Alex Alex from Atlanta here? Why does it say Joel C. at the end? Got two dead wrongs from Wednesday's episode during the five movie segment. Luke said that Gail Garcia Bernal, the star of the foreign film he recommended, was in Coco and Hands of Stone. While he was in Coco, he wasn't in Hands of Stone. That was Edgar Ramirez. Ah. Dagger. Also, when I explaining think, yeah. the... The plot for Shaun of the Dead. Luke said that Shaun gets fired. That's dead wrong. He gets dumped by his girlfriend, not fired. Thanks, boys. Love the show uh, and the athletic greens. All right. Fair enough. I, I knew it was some kind of traumatic, like, you're done here moment, but it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, fair I, enough. I don't fair know enough. who sent that in, but thank you, whoever did. Let's by go the way, to Zach people S. were surprised you hadn't seen that. That's a, that's, I mean, that's right up your alley. Shaun I mean, I Dead. saw Boondock Saints. Isn't that enough UK in my life, Luke? Or is that Ireland, too? That's... But they play American. They play. They're they, well. Like it's, it takes place in America. All right. I didn't grow up playing soccer like everybody else, Luke. I'm sorry. Uh, let's go over to Zach S from Australia. Good day, Donks. I'm coming after Luke's upper bound limit phrase. I heard on a previous MK that Luke said he get got the phrase from calculus and or mathematics. My housemate yes. is doing his honors in math and informed me that there is an upper or lower bound in mathematics. And there is even the upper and lower bound of a limit. However, the term upper bound limit is not a mathematical term. Yes, because I borrowed that and put it together on my own. Not that it's a direct terminology. What? This segment I blows, dude. The, wow. These are the fucking worst dead wrong. Yes, of course you. Okay. All right. These must be the ones that get the wheat just gets cut by Mikey. You know just, what? You know, we let, let this be a lesson to you and me, BC. I mean, I know, for example, that you talk all that shit about Mikey when no one's looking. You should really dial that back. You know what I'm saying? He serves a valuable role on this show. I love Mikey. Mikey's family, all right? Sometimes family, you got to vape I'm teasing, I'm teasing. This. But Jesus, Mikey really puts in the quality control, you know? Okay, they're telling us to skip number eight. It's a repeat. Oh, good. Okay, let's go over to here. This is Ray M. Let's put some respect on Joe Joyce's name, Birdman style. He brutally KO'd Parker. Luke emphatically said that, yeah, we already went through this. We already took the L, Okay. 
Keep boxing alive. Yeah, Ray, hey, we already took the L for that, all right? Keep up with us. Uh, finally, this is from Oscar L. At 116.40, a Friday show, Luke says that Tom Hardy plays the more unhinged brother of the two. Yeah, I already the, went over this, but yes, he's right. Okay. Go ahead. This, yeah, hey, Oscar, we got it already, okay? P.S. He and, played the twins. I remembered him more for the unhinged twin, but he played the twins. I mean, okay. P.S. If Luke and Tom Hardy ever met, Tom would high crotch, run the pipe, gain north-south position, and submit Luke via tap to pure BDE. So put some damn respect on his name. Wow. No, people, they notice they, they tell you that he's won grappling tournaments without telling you which tournament or which opponents. Because it's just a local blue belt, like, whatever. It's not nothing. It's important to go do those. But that's not, like, evidence of significant prowess. That's not what it means at all. It just, you know, I'm telling you, if you go to jiu-jitsu schools and just hang out for a year, these people who go and compete, they compete every weekend. And then it's like, who did you beat? And it's like, oh, I beat another guy who's also an accountant in a nearby town. Like, okay, great. That doesn't tell you a whole lot. Ryan Hall looks like an accountant, but he'll tap your ass, Luke. Yeah, but he has titles at the black belt level. That's different. That's yeah, different. Yeah. And in legitimate tournaments with opponents who know you know who they are. Very different. Very yeah, different. Dylan Dennis. Yeah, very different. Luke, uh, uh, that's, that's the show. I'm sorry if I bloviated too much. We went over two hours for the second time this week. You know, That's on me then, okay? It definitely is on you because I don't like going over the two-hour limit. So anytime we do, there's one guy to blame for that. I'm going to start my own podcast. It's going to go all day, every day. It's going to be called The Human <laughs> Podcast. It's always going to be on, Luke. I'll just be talking, all right? And I'll, the Truman my super, Show? The, your version of it? Yeah, and I'll have a live super chat going, Luke. It'll be great. Do you give more, like a better answer the more they spend? Uh, hold on. Did you hear this story? I mean, you may have followed it, BC. Uh, Luis Quinones. Uh, I'm sure there's an Enya there or not. Um, the boxer who he finally died. Did you hear about this? I did not see the that news, but twenty five years old, he was in. A, he had a knockout loss to Jose Munoz at the Coliseo Elias Cheguin in Barranquilla, Colombia. Anyway, he went to the uh, he went to the ER, and as of Thursday night, I guess now he was pronounced dead. Twenty five years old, died in boxing, um, and according to this ESPN report, the fight had gone. I'm trying to see how long it had gone. Back and forth fight in the eighth round. Munoz lost his mouth guard, and referee. Mercado sent Quinones to a neutral corner while Munoz was getting his mouth card back in. Quinones was on wobbly legs in the ring at that point. When the fight continued after a punch, he was knocked down, put on a stretcher, and taken to the hospital. He later died. So, uh, tragedy. Tragedy in the boxing world, to put it like... I mean, I hate to end the show on that note, but it just came up yeah. on the wire, so... Back yeah. to Mikey in Amsterdam. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, you're right, Luke. You're right. And uh, and by the way, thanks to everybody who supported uh, Courtney on our show and her Haymakers for Hope fight. Yes. It was an absolute brawl. I'm hoping... That we can get her on the show to recap it. Luke, maybe you can dissect the video, all right? I'm told we're going to have her in studio on Monday to talk about it, so I look forward to it. Okay, all right. Bush, they, some gave all in that fight. Wow, wow. Uh, also, Luke, I want to tip of the cap to uh, a guy that's been big in our careers at CBS Sports, Karen Portley, who's moving on to new adventures and uh, was a you know big backer in Morning Combat. And, uh, uh, he, rec he recruited me. He straight up during the pandemic recruited you, and you know I'll be thankful for him helping us take this show to the next level and all all the times up and down the road. So uh, special high five in that direction. Um, so if I call him, will he answer the phone? <laughs> probably not. Probably not. I'm still waiting for my call. Yeah, but we love you. KP. I, I've told a story you. before. I texted him on vacation because uh, he's got family uh, from South America as well, and I texted him about a certain place I was because we had previously had a conversation about it, and I was actually on, in that place, and I texted him. And he goes, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know who this is. 
<laughs> and if you guys, that's hilarious, and that is who he is. But Port was also the, you know, one half of the brainchild behind ESPN's MMA Live, among many other things. So, uh, uh, used to work for the UFC. Uh, I'm sure we'll see him again w one day, and thank you for helping MK get to that next level. Yes. Finally, your final day, if you want to vote to help us win a, yet another award, it is worldmma.awards.com slash nominees or the QR code below. We're up for best MMA programming. Can we win it the second straight year? This is your last chance to make 50 fake email accounts and do that for us if that's your trade. Um, Luke Thomas, you got anything to say ahead of this, this fun weekend of fights? lot to get to let's see i think one is tonight right and then you got bellator and ufc and i think they're going to be at different times tomorrow so enjoy all of that and we're going to have a monday in studio show yes. for you donks to recap everything should be a lot of fun yeah let's get that studio life going also uh luke we have a documentary number seven that is in the final stages it's twice as long as any doc before it it may be the last doc we ever do but it's pretty damn epic what I've seen of it. Are you getting fired up? I believe we're releasing this within the next two weeks. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited. My wife makes a cameo in this one. So does Tuki, although you guys have seen her before. And uh, our homes are shown in this one to an extent anyway. So, my hometown. My hometown is shown too. Yeah. Uh, none of my family members would agree to be on camera except for Molly the dog. So uh, we'll, we'll you can check that out when it drops. We'll get I'll you say fired this. up. I saw a rough cut of it. It might be the best one that we've ever... Well, we didn't Jake, do it, but it might... Dude, Jake, Jake. It might be the best one Jake's ever done. Jake is... Jake Von Amsterdam is just next level brilliant. Uh, thank you to our staff, Long Island Luke, Gaff. Uh, Mikey's away at the moment, but uh, Corey Manich has been a big part of what we do as always from the beginning. Um... That guy is Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. Uh, put your mental health first, okay? Let's do it. We can get through this together. Shout out to everybody in Florida uh, enduring, my parents among them, with, with all the crazy storms and the rain and the flooding and all that. Stay safe. Focus on what really matters at the end of the day. And that's listening to these two donks a couple times a week, and that's your family and your health. Go after it. Two words on the way out is we out.